The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So big news, friends. The Robots Radio Network is now sponsored by Loot Crate. This means that you will get 15% off on your purchase of a crate or a crate subscription at lootcrate.com. Now, all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes. It'll take you to lootcrate.com. And when you purchase something, you can put in the code robotsradio, R-O-B-O-T-S-R-A-D-I-O. And when you do that, you get 15% off your purchase. Now, this is awesome because they have Fallout crates, they have video game crates, they have superheroes, you get t-shirts and figures and art to put on your walls. This is actually where I got the Brotherhood of Steel flag that I have behind me in some of my videos. Very, very cool stuff. I'm super excited about it. And if you have somebody who's already buying you loot crates for your birthdays or or whatever, give them the code. They can use it if you want to use this for somebody else's gifts or if you just want to get yourself one or two boxes, you can use the code for yourself. Again, just click the link in the show notes and type in the code robots radio, R-O-B-O-T-S-R-A-D-I-O. You just put that in the box at checkout. Super cool stuff. I hope you guys check it out. And any purchases you make help to support the shows on the network. So whether it's my shows or someone else's shows, click the link in the show notes for your favorite show. Give them some support and get yourself some awesome loot. Robots Radio presents... Call to action for all like-minded individuals. In the past year, we've overcome many challenges, but in our changing wasteland, we now face the greatest challenge, a challenge to truth. We speak of the heretics who have come to our home. We speak of the false prophets. We speak of the cult of the Mothman. Not only do they attack us, our homes, our friends, but they attack everything that the one true Mothman stands for. He seeks to protect us, to warn us, to save us, never to harm us. They do not serve him. They serve only monsters, only themselves. They've preserved the same ideals that burnt this world with fire. They are the same as those who ignored his warnings of destruction. We are the Mothman's chosen. We seek those who will spread the word of the one true Mothman. We seek those who will help their neighbors. We seek two types of people, those who will build monuments to his great honor and those who will cleanse this land of the false prophets. Our services begin soon. Join us and he will show you his great and glowing light. Awesome. So how can people join you? I'll sign things over to, or turn things over to Soy now.
Hey. So uh, Nunamur and I have started a new player faction called the Mothman's Chosen. This has been a dream of mine for a while now, and Nunamur has helped me make it a reality because I don't got that kind of free time on my hand to do it all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> As of right now, we are only on PS4, but are planning to open up to other platforms in the future. Keep an eye out on Nunamur's Twitter uh, for upcoming news and recruitment information. I hope everyone is as excited as us to praise our wise and all-knowing Mothman. Remember to fight the false prophets and praise the one true Moth. If you choose to join us, you can contact us at the following locations on Twitter at Nunamur for Nunamur and at SoybeanTheWolf for me. You can find us on the Fallout Lorecast Discord as Nunamur and Soybean. And I'm not giving out my PS4 publicly yet. But uh, Nunamur will, and that is Neo Prowl, and you can message him about that as well. Yeah, um, and you know what? I'd, I'd love to support you. I wish it was on PC also, or I'd join you guys, but I'd love to support this, and we can create a channel on the Robots Radio Discord as well for you guys to make announcements and, and try to rally the troops, if you'd like. How's that sound? Hells yeah. Hells yeah. yeah All right. Sounds great. Thanks, Tom. All right, Wastelanders and Vault Dwellers, welcome back. This is the Fallout Lorecast, and this is our very special end of the month patron chat episode. This is our community chat, which we record live on twitch.tv slash robots radio, which we're doing right now. So welcome to all of our uh, watchers and the entire community who's hanging out with us and all of our patrons to get together to talk about our favorite DLCs of the vast array of different fallouts that had DLCs, so Fallout 3 through 76. And with me this week, I have a number of our Tier 4 patrons who are joining us, many of which who have uh, previously been with us, and um, at least one new face we've got. So we have Aperture Flash, a True Dog, Deadshot, Fire Rider, Numenor, Pink Titan, Soybean, Sunless Sketcher, Victor, and Zemnies alphabetically throughout the list. And in this episode, you're going to hear each of them who have, in this case, picked their own favorite DLC to discuss. And we're going to start chronologically at the very beginning with Point Lookout from Fallout 3 and True Dog. True Dog picked this one. True Dog, welcome to the show. How's it going? True Dog wasn't ready for me to hand that off yet. Hey, True Dog. Being sorry. There you are. How's it going? Doing really good. How you doing, Tom? Good. I'm doing great. This is uh, this is always one of my most fun conversations to have in the uh, the whole duration of the month. Um, so I'm glad you're able to join us again. And you picked um, Point Lookout. So, what is it about Point Lookout specifically that made made you put it on this list of your favorites? Well, it was between the pit and point lookout. And a couple months ago, I talked about the pit as one of the, I think it was the episode toughest moral decision. And yes, this one, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Fallout 3. And this one is just a little, a little less, um, these are a little easier to move along as you do this one. So I found it a bit more fun. Yeah, I remember this one specifically. Now, uh, are there certain things that you wanted to point out about this, about this DLC specifically that you enjoyed? I mean, if, if you're going to ask specifically, there were two dogs that were a portion of this. 
Okay, two dogs. I'm trying to remember back. I'm going to have to do a lot of remembering back to think about everything that happened to each of these DLCs. So two dogs in Point Lookout. Explain what happened there, because I'm trying to recall, trying to recall it. I've forgotten, too. I was chatting with Victor about this, too, earlier um, over the Discord. And if I call this Point Pleasant, the place in Fallout 76, you got to correct me, but it's Point Lookout. And Right. Um, so there's a mansion there with a ghoul who's been there for 200 years and he had two dogs, Freki and Geki. And I had kind of forgotten that they were a part of the gameplay. And oh, as yeah, I back, yeah, yeah. Okay. Go on. Yes. Now I remember. Yeah. And they're forgettable until you're like, oh, right. That was a big reason for why I picked Desmond at the end. Because if you play through the whole main quest line, that's a part of the DLC. Um, he's fighting a robo brain that uh, is kind of a jerk. Well, actually, both those guys were jerk. Um, Desmond and Calvert. And they're both kind of these, uh, they take these moral high grounds and they're both very arrogant, selfish people. And they've been in this feud for a while. And um, in the process of doing the mission, the two dogs get blown up in the manor. And it really solidified my choice to stick with Desmond, um, realizing that Calvert was a canine killer. Yeah, they uh, man, there were all these explosives all over the mansion. There was a ghoul in there who I think. OK, so my own recollection of this. And of course, I'm thinking back now 10 plus years, right? Because this this came out a while ago now um, was realizing that that ghoul was ancient, basically <laughs> hundreds of years old and had been around before the bombs. And I think that was my first real realization that it just like, I don't know, it maybe it maybe it was just super obvious by then, but it just came crashing down. And I was like, wait a minute, the ghouls, some of the ghouls lived that long. Huh? <laughs> that completely changed my perception of the whole game. This DLC had a lot of it filled in a lot of the gaps for me and it kind of nailed environment and what Fallout is all about, you know, with the ghouls and a 200 year long feud between a brain in a jar and a ghoul. And they remember their familial differences and the fact that they were feuding and they've just maintained this feud for 200 years. And um, it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, you had to think back 10 years because um, one of the cool things about getting to be on this podcast and do this for a couple months has been kind of reevaluating how I played the game and kind of thinking about the goals that I had picked when I was younger and what I'd forgotten and, you know, what really stuck with me. And, mm -hmm. you know, to be a moral person when I played this game and I've sat and listened back on the episodes I've been a part of, and I've really had an opportunity to dive into it. I'm finding that the gameplay is really a compelling portion of this and the looting and all that is meaningful. And I think that because there's that foundation of enthralling and good gameplay that you can actually dive into those moral questions and really sift through them in a way where it doesn't feel overwhelming or tiresome. Like every time you pick up the game, you're confronted with something that's horrible or tough for you to grope and deal with. Um, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And that's, that's also part of what makes it fun to do a podcast about, because I get to grapple with each of those moral dilemmas each week when I do a new show. So totally right. get it. Totally get it. I mean, I certainly felt needed during Maybe the pit DLC and maybe this one as well, because there's a lot of moral ambiguity in the ending. But I think I talked about Megaton a, a while back and that was an easy quest for me. You're just like, nope, I'm not blowing that up. And this one ended a little differently. You, I wasn't really sure who I wanted to pick. It really was that individual choice and how I felt about the treatment of those dogs, oddly enough, that ended up skewing me towards uh, Desmond, who was the ghoul in the mansion. Mm hmm. 
Okay. Um, and can you paint back any more of that picture for any of our audience that's listening and that never got a chance to play it? Do you oh, remember sure. specifically what the, what the um, debate was between them? What was the feud specifically? You know what? That's the thing. That's kind of lost in the, the history of the situation. I, there was a lot more to it with the tribes and maybe some of the other Patreon members who are a little more versed in the lore will remember, but um, it was a feud associated with technology, as I remember, and um, more of what was happening in the gameplay, that the tribals were being uh, manipulated and used by the robo-brain, and that Desmond was simply off in his, he was um, waiting in his mansion and fortifying it for 200 years as he's been dealing with the manipulation that the robo-brain was using to garner forces and produce an army. And, right. um Though that was another choice as well. Do you really want to pick the the brain who's manipulating people, or do you want to go with the kind of mean ghoul who? Uh, yeah, he's kind of a jerk, but you could you could understand why he might have done what he did. Well, he knew what he wanted, that's for sure. And he was a jerk, but he was very driven, and so I appreciated that as well. Yeah, yeah, and the mood of this was also really cool. The fact that it was this like swampy area with these. Um, kind of mutated backwoods yokels is that probably a polite way to say it? <laughs> Running around, roll with it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. We, we was in Maryland and it was not bombed at all, so it had a lot of uh radiation that washed over the area, but wasn't suffering exactly from a nuclear strike. So I, I found it refreshing, honestly. You could come right out of Vault 101. I mean, when you think about a favorite DLC, there's um, there's the story, of course, and there's the way that you feel, and that might make you remember it and want to pick it as your first. But mm -hmm. again, gameplay needs to be exhilarating enough and enjoyable enough that you're drawn back in. And yeah, yeah, this was a good one. Um, let's open this up to the rest of the group. Any guys? Are, are are any of you? Is this on your top of your list for Fallout DLCs, Victor? So just to clarify on um, the argument between Desmond and the Robo-Brain, uh, one of the things that always draws me in for Fallout is history. What are the connections to history and lore? And the ongoing feud is that both of them had been part of kind of this secret ne network of espionage all over the world. Um, that It's kind of a little bit conspiracy theory-esque, but the idea is, you know, there's your common people, and then there's the people working who have a lot of information, a lot of the espionage information, and who are trying to move through, move through the world and try to manipulate the world. And before the war, the robot-brain obviously got himself made into a robot-brain so he could survive post the war. Mm. And then, of course, Desmond got, uh, got ghoulified. So what's happening now is it was based on a rivalry that they had regarding that kind of shadow council, kind of almost that shadow world, almost of espionage and high level secrecy and plans and information and like the kind of world that James Bond would run into. Right. right? right. Like, it's a very 007 kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And so then they had a rivalry and now what's kind of happened is over the, these 200 years, they've just kept up the rivalry. Mm -hmm. And the reasons why they hated each other to begin with kind of are irrelevant now. Right. But they've always hated each other. They've been hating each other for 200 years. Right. 
Right. Yeah, that's a good that's a good synopsis. Um, a lot of this is bringing me back because I, I didn't do my homework before we did the episode and read all the different DLCs. Uh, but yeah, that totally that totally brings it back. And the rivalry is kind of coming to a head with a with another home invasion, I believe, when you come across the the uh, the mansion. Yeah, it's that that's mm-hmm. a home invasion thing going on. So that's what I liked about Point Lookout was that entire plot line talking about pre-war lore, essentially living pre-war lore. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that was kind of a first, at least, I mean, having played through most of Fallout 3 by that point, I was like, holy crap, this is, it was really neat to see. And I think maybe that was the thing that really made me uh, appreciate the depth of the lore for the first time. I mean, there's definitely things in the base game, but that, that made me go, wow, okay. There's a lot more behind this than I really understand. Yeah, definitely. So, like, like I said, that's what I like about it, and that's also to clarify the relationship between Desmond and the Robo Brain. I can't bother to remember his name because, like True Dog, I prefer Desmond. Yeah, me too. I picked Desmond as well. Oh, very cool. Uh, Aperture, what have you? What have you got to share? Well, uh, in terms of that DLC, I kind of really hated the climax that. Came- came to between uh Culver and Desmond. Um, yeah. Well, it basically ended with them both pointing guns at each other and in the Robobrain's chamber and going, well, which one of us is going to die? You have to choose. Just kind of sat there going. <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah. And I was kind of expecting some mutually assured destruction. Not to, uh, uh, hey, you random wastelander in a blue jacket, why don't you... Uh, why don't, you, why don't you choose which one of those dies? It was very jarring. Yeah, that makes I sense. Actually, I actually would have preferred the... They, don't, they, they have this rivalry, and originally they wanted to kill each other before the war, but now it's to a point where they're kind of the only two that understand what was going on in their culture, so to speak, before the war. So I would have preferred, it's like, I hate your guts. But if I kill you, that takes away a lot of the fun I've been happy having for the past 200 years. Kind of like a Batman and uh, the Joker, like we need each other kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that, yeah, you know, I haven't thought about this stuff in a really long time. Solid points. Nunamur, what are you, you going to add to this conversation? So you were talking before about uh, the atmosphere of it and it was really spooky it was it was uh had that really kind of creepy vibe to it so i had talked about this on a previous episode but it was in that dlc where you find the book uh which is the the first real besides some stuff from previous followed games um it was where there was really the confirmation that there was something supernatural going on in the fallout universe because that's the book that when you bring it to the obelisk uh, in the Dumbwich book, oh, yeah. that's where yeah, you, it, it ca- when you put it on the obelisk, it catches on fire and you hear all these voices and stuff. So I just thought it was really appropriate lore-wise that the first hardcore confirmation of supernatural goings-ons in the Fallout universe was in what up to that point... Uh, had been the spookiest and creepiest of all the DLCs. And having remembered that when that came out, it was such a big DLC because it was that whole big area that you could uh, you could explore. And a lot of the other mm-hmm. DLCs were much more um, self-contained, uh, smaller in scope. 
And um, Point Lookout really gave you a big, huge area to explore that was very different um, aesthetically from the rest of Fallout 3. Yeah. Yeah, I did appreciate that. The spooky setting, the misty. I remember the fog over the um, the really I call them drippy trees. That doesn't that's not really what they're called. But anytime you have like trees with lots of moss and things hanging off of them, they look like they're like dripping, almost like they're wet. At least which is hair. Which is hair. Is that what that's called? Uh, (laughs) Yes, I appreciated that as a as a backdrop. All right, True Dog, anything else you want to add to this before we wrap it up? Nope, not much else. I, I aside from I totally missed that the Dunwich Buildings book, which I, I'd never done that part, was associated with this DLC. And yeah, I gotta go back and play this again as an adult. This one's good. Yeah, I loved the Dunwich Building and, and the stuff going on there. Very cool stuff. Okay, next. Um, we, unfortunately, nobody was able to pick up the pit, which you mentioned as being uh debated as to which one you would pick broken steel didn't get chosen but almost everything else on the list is so next we have mothership zeta with Phaethon who can't make it so hopefully Phaethon, if you were listening to this and you can put together a recording of some of your thoughts on mothership zeta i know that that's a lot of people's favorites because aliens aliens um so we'll look forward to hearing that on a future episode that I'll kind of plug it into the end of one of the shows coming up and so that means that next up is operation anchorage with pink titan Pink Titan, wait, welcome to the show for the first time, by the way. How's it going? Thank you kindly. I'm happy to be here and talk Fallout. Yeah, thanks for supporting the show and coming to talk with us. And I'm looking forward to hear, hearing and learning about your perspective on the, you know, the world of the world's world. World games, world. single word, virtual multiple world games, kind of virtual world of Fallout, um, especially with Operation Anchorage. So what are your thoughts on on this DLC? So this is probably one of those ones that almost every single playthrough I've done of Fallout 3, I have always immediately went to the Brotherhood Outcasts building that this DLC takes place in because the gear you get from it is so significantly powerful, especially for early game. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the weapons are like you get the winterized T-51 power armor. And at the end of the DLC, it actually gives you power armor training. So you don't even need it before you actually start the DLC. It will automatically give it to you. And the T-51, the Winterize specifically, the reason why it's probably the most powerful power armor in the game is that it doesn't deteriorate. You don't have to repair it or anything. It stays at max. uh, I can't remember the term, but it stays completely unbroken the entire time you're using it. It doesn't deteriorate or anything. Um, and you also get a Gauss rifle. You get the Jingwei shock sword, which is probably one of the most powerful one-handed weapons in the game, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the lore implications behind it as well, that the way I saw it is that the entire um, mission that they put you in, it's just an entire propaganda thing. Because one scene in particular that I laugh every time I see it is when you enter, I think it's like a giant warehouse or building or something, and three Chinese soldiers in there in the Chinese stealth armor are like going around doing tricks and stuff like that. And they all attack you at once. That's something that I look at. And I think that is definitely something like a director put together. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good point um, to, to back up a little bit for anybody who didn't play through this. This was the DLC where you ended up in, I believe, it was a, simu- a simulation, right? 
Yes, it's similar to the oh god, I can't remember which fault it is, but it's in Fallout Three when you go find your dad, the simulation with Von Braun. Um, it's this the pod is very similar, um, right? But and you're helping these Brotherhood outcasts who are trying to get into this vault. You end up mm-hmm. picking a side. If you pick one side, you basically basically pat you on the back, say good job and bye. But then when you <laughs> go with the other side, they will actually let you loot that vault or like what's behind the door kind of thing. Right, right. And you end up in the simulation of the uh, when the battle took place up in up in Anchorage, up in Alaska. Correct, um, correct. With the invading Chinese forces and a bunch of soldiers in power armor and that kind of thing. Yep. Um, another thing with that is I think originally it's kind of like a stealth thing. Like you're almost like a secret agent for the U.S. government kind of thing because it doesn't start off or special forces. You're not fighting or only, I think, towards the end of it, you're fighting alongside other soldiers and stuff like that. But most of the time you're by yourself. Right, right. Yeah, this is another one of those things I'm trying to think back to. And it's been a while. Um, Aperture chimes in and says, wasn't it a training sim? I believe. Yeah, it might have been a training. I think that makes sense. I think it might have been something done before uh, the war or like before Anchorage was in full effect or it was shortly after Anchorage when we when the the U.S. had won that battle was when they created this training simulation to give people an idea of like, okay, this is what you're probably gonna be fighting against or what you have to expect. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Again, I'm I'm having to remember back a long way and. Yeah, uh, so he's uh, Sunless says, yep, it was supposed to be a training for new soldiers, if I recall. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, cool. Is there anything else that stood out about this specific DLC to you? Um, nothing specific. I think any, anything that I thought about it, I had already stated. Yeah, yeah. I remember this being reported on by the games media and what you were saying about being able to get um get the power armor training, the special weapons and things like that. I remember that being one of the like arguments that games media made about it at the time. They were like, it's okay. It's not great, but you get all this cool stuff at the end. And it was like, all right. Um, yeah, it's, fu- it's funny to think back on how the, the news media reported on each of these at the time too. I don't know if you guys were aware or plugged into, you know, game podcasts or review sites or things like that at the time, but. To my knowledge, it was the it was the first DLC dropped for a Fallout Three. I think it was. I think it was in that order. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. Um, Victor, did you want to chime in on this? Uh, yeah. First of all, to confirm, yes, Operation Anchorage was the first DLC to be dropped for Fallout Four. Um, when I did the, the Fallout Three, list, right? Fallout Three. Yes. Right. Uh, when I did the the chronological list, I knew I knew the order for Fallout Four. And I knew that the order of the DLC was paramount for the New Vegas game. So I tried to find what the order was for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fallout 3 when I made my list. And yes, Operation Anchorage was the first. Right, uh, right. Yeah, I just wanted to double down on what Pink Titan was saying about it being propaganda. Because if you, I don't remember which path you have to take to be able to do this. But after you go through the training and you get the armor and stuff like that, you can actually look at the different terminals within that building where they were like setting up that sim and terminal entry after terminal entry, you will see people saying that you know, I think it's a general who was in charge of it from the military side, like coming in and making edits to the script, like the literal script as in what people are doing and saying, uh-huh. and he 
doing it to make himself and the Americans look better and better and the Chinese look worse and worse. And it's a very clear case of full-blown absolute propaganda and being taken to the nth degree because of one man's ego. (laughs) Imagine that happening in the real world. That would never happen in the real world. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's why I like encourage, but yeah, that the it's definitely propaganda. Even if it was some, simply meant to be used as a training tool, um, I think like America's Army would probably be a good corollary where it's mm-hmm. I, the first person shooting training kind of idea. But there's also definitely a propaganda aspect to the product itself. Right. Yeah. Good point. Solid oh, point. Modern warfare. <laughs> yeah. Well, America's Army was designed by the military. Uh, it came out back in the 2000s originally, and I think they've done other iterations on it. Um, but yeah, there's always been speculation that it was a, a means of trying to scout potential soldiers. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know enough about it. Aperture, did you want to add anything? Yeah, when I uh, f- uh, when I first played through Fallout 3, uh, I didn't have a concept of what a DLC was, and uh, I didn't realize that I had bought the game edition. So when I stumbled across that um, that that area. I didn't know it was a DLC and I was just like, why is it normal to be locked into a certain level? Like, why can't I get out of here? This is really involved. This is a really involved mission. I'm on. Yeah, yeah, literally. I, I admit the same thing happened where I, this is the first time coming across. I'm like, wait, I can't leave. Yeah, that was very jarring to me. I guess I have to kill a bunch of commies if I want to get back. And, like I had found it at a pretty critical point. Like I was going to my father at the water purifier and like I, I got sidetracked and I was like, I wanna see how this game ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's funny. That's a that's a funny way to have engaged with it, you know? I just uh just noticed that my tweet my Twitter changed the microphone icon to the word microphone. So now my Twitter says Faultlorecast Studio Microphone. <laughs> I'm gonna have to change this while we talk. Anybody else want to chime in about um Operation Anchorage? Yeah. Any thoughts? Oh, we've got one. Okay. Go ahead, Chicago. Walked into it. Um I didn't know what I was in for either. I knew it was a DLC, but the end of that dlc i was very happy to be done with it i had enjoyed myself thoroughly but it did keep you out of the wasteland and going back to the kind of the start I, as i recall the ending simulation is what locked the door that allowed you to pick up some of the loot at the end so their whole job there was to finish the training simulation so the doors would open and then it would be mutually beneficial for the brotherhood if someone go through it mm-hmm. that in there okay Aperture? Uh, I, I, I'm just thinking back on it. That news article. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're breaking out. News, that news article, and then that's all we heard. Whoops. Uh, I kind of agree with that news article. <laughs> um, I, I remember thinking, well, that, that was very distracting. But the loot's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was one of the big complaints. was like, okay, is this how they're going to do DLC from now on? You know, what else are we going to get? So, yeah, who knows? New number? Yeah, I, yeah, just to bring a little positivity to that DLC, because I actually really enjoyed it when it came out. Um, the reason I enjoyed it was actually because it had uh, that whole action 
almost action movie like quality to it where it was so different than anything else that you had experienced in the game. And I had already been putting probably hundreds of hours into the game by the time um, that that DLC came out. So it was a, a pleasurable change of pace because it was so action based and it was so linear that it was actually kind of cool. But the other thing about kind of talking about atmosphere of all these different uh, DLCs, it also changed up you know, what the world looked like, because all of a sudden, instead of um, brown and green, you were surrounded by white because it was snow. Yeah. And you were in you were in Alaska, you know, in a in a Arctic environment. And it was um, actually really beautiful uh, compared, especially compared to some of the post-apocalyptic, um, you know, um, mundane kind of like repetitive color scheme that you saw in the main game. And just to back up uh, what uh, Pink Titan said, I also, anytime I replay Fallout 3, I, yeah, Fallout 3, I um, start right off with that DLC because I, that Goss rifle is just beautiful. It's probably <laughs> my favorite weapon in all Fallout straight across the board is the Fallout 3 Operation Anchorage um, Goss rifle. It's amazing. Cool. Cool stuff. All right, Pink Titan, anything else you want to do to mention to wrap up your section? Um, Definitely going with what Newnimer said, um, or kind of based off what everybody was saying, where it's those who have put hours into it, because I myself did start with the Game of the Year edition. But it was one of those things that on my first playthrough, I didn't touch it until the end. So I, I feel the whole um, feeling like you got stuck. Mm-hmm. But especially going back and doing other playthroughs where I started, I started off the game and went almost immediately there right off the bat to get it out of the way and then getting all the strong gear from it. I noticed that it definitely gave a nice bump and a good start to a playthrough of fallout three. Yeah. Solid point. Okay, cool. Um, well, thanks for, thanks for bringing that. And we're going to move on. Actually, we just got a note from Faithon who says uh, they're on the way home from work and they might be able to join us in the next 30 minutes. So that's fun. We'll have, we'll have a perspective on Mothership Zeta in a little bit, but we're going to move ahead with Fallout New Vegas, starting out with Dead Money and Soybean. Soybean, welcome back. Hello. Hello. So you're kicking us off with the New Vegas DLCs. Uh, there's a lot riding on your shoulders with this one. Oh, don't pressure me. Right <laughs> I'm, so, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, so why specifically Dead Money? Okay. Christine, specifically Dead Money. Um, I am going to give a basic summary of the DLC real quick before getting into all my love for Christine. So uh, with Dead Money, uh, you follow the Pip-Boy broadcast to an abandoned Brotherhood of Steel bunker, and uh, you are kidnapped by the uh, former Brotherhood of Steel elder, Father Elijah. Uh, Veronica has spoken about him before, as well as many of the other Brotherhood of Steel uh, people that you meet in New Vegas. Uh, He forces you to team up with others a super mutant that refers to themselves as dog, uh, <laughs> dog and God. Beautiful. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the pre-war entertainer ghoul, Dean Domino, and Christine, a Brotherhood Circle of Steel assassin. Your goal is to perform a heist of the Sierra Madre Casino, but, I mean, to me, the treasure is not worth all this trouble. Jesus. Uh, it is... <laughs> 37 gold bars worth 10,539 caps each. So 
over 37,000 caps, which, uh, over actually 370,000. I don't know math, which yes, is a lot of caps, but this is, this is a real bad one. Um, poor Christine. I love Christine so much. And she was betrayed by pretty much everyone she came across from her family to her lover to her elders to most random people she met along the way. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe the only solace she found was in the circle of steel in which they valued her and her skills. And she got to then uh, take revenge on one of the people she feels has slighted her the most, Father Elijah. And you'll notice in the following uh, New Vegas DLCs, a lot of it has to do with Christine chasing Father Elijah throughout all these areas. Um, I relate to her a lot as a uh, fellow queer person. And... It is kind of sad uh, that she follows, in a lot of ways, the stereotype of the tragic lesbian, where mm. in a lot of uh, popular culture media, um, lesbians are always having this sad story where they, they never get to be happy at the end. They never get to stay with the partner they want to be with, or it's this like unrequited love or if there is that love in between them something happens or in general their lives are just shitty and while that's a mood (laughs) it's it's sad it's really sad for poor christine uh to the point where when you see her in sierra madre she has a, a shaved head with scars very visible and all those scars are from her time in the big empty in her head and then there's the big scar at her throat where her vocal cords have been removed which goes into you know further torture of just being used by other people that as you do the dlc you find out uh the ghoul dean domino had put her in this machine to cut her vocal cords as part of the heist on the casino and it's just this whole thing where in the end yeah her uh ending is very bittersweet as sunless says that her good ending if you don't kill her and you're friends with her is just she stays at the sierra madre just defending it and making sure no one else shows up and spends her life alone doing that and very tragic yeah it is and there there was part of me that so desperately wanted to bring her back to Veronica and just have everything be okay. And the game doesn't even let you talk about her to Veronica because I suppose it's never explicitly said that Veronica and Christine were together. It's just heavily implied when Veronica mentions this past lover and being split up in the Brotherhood of Steel and Christine mentioning a past lover and being split up by the Brotherhood of Steel. Yeah. But yet when you go huh. back and talk to Veronica, you can talk about Father Elijah. And uh, I, again, was very upset because I was like, game, how could you do this to me? I <laughs> I downloaded mods 
in an attempt to to fix my problems here to, <laughs> to gain some sense of closure but even in that i could never get myself to the point of getting back to the sierra madre dlc and it kind of just eventually became this thing i never did but it was an important lesson that you cannot fix other people's problems all the time as much <laughs> as video games like to make us think that some people just you can't help them and it's sad some people are just treated very badly when they don't deserve to be yeah hey that's yeah welcome to life yeah Things, welcome to life <laughs> crappy crappy stuff happens and that's just the way it goes sometimes man uh, obsidian the writers behind New Vegas, and I'm sure some of the team that worked on Fallout One and Fallout Two, who were still there at the time, um, man, they they can write tragedy and dark situations and characters in a <laughs> in a in a way that um, the Bethesda team just. I mean, there's dark stuff that happens, but there's a certain I don't know. There's a certain tone I think to Obsidian's version of that. Does that make sense? don't know how to describe it yeah it's like it's it's so well interconnected and tragic and also um i don't know dark in a very fallout kind of way you know like the, you're talking about the scars on her head and the vocal cords and yeah, that's something that um if the bethesda team writes about something like that generally it's comedic in a way yeah they kind it kind they kind of don't let it get as dark as it could be but when the Bethesda team or when the Obsidian team goes about that stuff, it's usually just really tragic. It's just it's a it's a tough story, you know, yeah. it, there's not really a sugar coating to it. I don't know. I might be wrong in, in that estimation. I'm sure there are examples that you could counter that with. But I don't know. There's something about the, the feeling of that. So um, cool stuff. Anything else you wanted to add before we open it up? Um, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Okay. Aperture? Can I just mention how much I absolutely... Uh, oh, oh, you're, you're blipping Domino. in and out again. Sorry. Is, how much you what? How much I love Dean Domino. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. I've always, I've always been a fan of Dean Martin. So, like, mm -hmm. when I realized exactly who it was that I was talking with, and like, oh, hey, this is basically Dean Martin, but a ghoul. I... I felt very betrayed when he betrayed us. So. Mm -hmm. You're like, I've been, I've been a fan of yours for so long and here you are betraying me. Ain't sure. that a kick in the head. Ain't that a kick in the head. Oh man. Zemnies, what do you have to add? Well, I remember when I first started playing it, you know, trying to go through and going through the, the storyline about Christine and all that, and just how messed up Dean was, you know, in the end, his, I guess you could say his fame, he, won, he wanted to make himself, you know, have godly fame in a way, and then, you know, getting to the very end, finally meeting up with the elder Elijah, uh, you know, after reading all in, the entire uh, notes and stuff on the computers finally meeting up to him and catching with him because I forgot how many spots there were that you had to read on the different terminals and stuff about Father Elijah and stuff especially with the Brotherhood there 
mm-hmm. and then finally being able to get into the vault and uh, just the first time getting in there and you're looking at all this loot and you're going, oh, wow, this is so cool. And then you get stuck in there and then you're like, <laughs> oh, what do I do? And, um, you know, plus and I think the the other thing that I liked about the DLC was the uh, prototype gauze rifle. Um, mm. I think you could have the. Um, uh, there was like a scope or something that you could find in there, and it was actually pretty, pretty high damage. Uh, and then, you know, just, of course, going through everything and trying to go get from where you first started and going through all the stuff you had to go through just to get to the very end of it and finally be rid of, of the stupid collars, uh, I think was pretty cool. Cool. Sunless, you have something to add? Uh, I had a hard time picking for DLCs. This was one of my top three. Um, not just the, the characters and the story that's already been discussed, but the feeling of the entire location is just, it's an amazing change from being in the Mojave. How everything's there is kind of bright desert. And you go to um, the Sierra Madre, and it almost feels like Silent Hill when you're there. It's the, the way it's abandoned, endless kind of cloud. So for me, I think that was probably what made it one of my top favorites. Just this, this feeling of almost stepping into a different genre of game. Yeah, uh, similar to the difference that we talked about previously, but uh, not the same kind of change, but uh, definitely a distinct change in setting. And that's that's something that I don't think we've really seen, at least to me. None of the other DLCs in any of the games since have hit that same almost horror game. So uh, this this one is definitely special to me because it hits that that tone. Cool, cool. Victor, what do you have to add to this? I just wanted to a double down with Aperture. Of I love Dean Domino. He's a jackass, and I adore him. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, you know, I I follow a lot of stuff like on Reddit, and one of the ongoing memes is, you know, the whole theme of dead money is letting go, but everybody takes all of the gold bars and then tries to sneak past Father Elijah. Uh, <laughs> right, which is it's hilarious to me, but also I just. I was really drawn to the super mutant uh, God and dog. They are such a unique dichotomy of the two opposite ends of what a super mutant can be. Cause obviously God is very eloquent. He's well-spoken. He knows what he's, you know, he, he has his mind and then dog is, well, he acts like a dog to be perfectly honest. He, he is father Elijah's, you know, faithful dog. Right. And, there, the various ways that that plotline can go is absolutely incredible. And I, I think that for Super Mutant, I think the only other Super Mutant I like as much as a character is, I can't remember her name, but she's the Super Mutant you find with the Nightkin. And mm-hmm. she's like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, oh, what was her name? Ah, oh, so much to remember. If anybody yeah. remembers your name, type it in the chat or yell at your, uh, your radio while you're listening to this on the podcast. We'll hear it. We'll hear it back here in the past. Um, yeah. But the, just the way that Fallout can create characters, both with the ghouls and the super mutants, who on the one hand, they are 
you know, with feral ghouls, they're completely mindless. Or with super mutants, if they're enemy super mutants, they are focused on one thing. They're very, you know, simple-minded and, you know, fight blood gore. Mm-hmm. But they can also take these car- these creatures, this kind of subspecies almost, although I don't like saying that about ghouls or super mutants. But, right, you know, right. This Creature's this fine. This different kind of creature and then also make them so human. And, like, it's much more common with ghouls to have those characters, but even the super mutant characters who kind of gain that individual quality to themselves, be that dog and god or Mm -hmm. uh, the grandma or strong in Fallout 4. Uh, And I think that Dead Money is a great example of the various things that you are able to do with a super mutant character. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when you get a really unique individual super mutant you come across. I think it would be really cool to have a game at some point where you can uh, pick a, a class, a character type, and you don't have to be human. You could be a ghoul or you could be a super mutant who just happens to retain their mind. You know, something like that. That would be very cool. Uh, Firewriter writes Lily. Was it Lily? Victor, was it Lily? Do you remember? Yes, Lily is the name. Thank you, Fire. Mm-hmm. Doesn't she wear like the big brim hat? Is that the yeah, one? she's got like a- She's like, wears like a big brimmed hat, brimmed sun yeah. hat, and I think might be a little fake flower in it. Yeah. And yeah. part of her story is like, she has a holotape of her grandchildren talking to her. And so, like, part of her personal story is doing the, you know, how much do you try to remember the past versus using a stealth boy? Because I think she is uh, one of the stealth boy of addicted ones. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. And yeah, so, I'm gonna have to dig into these characters and do episodes on each of them. <laughs> yeah, again, it's just a case of yes, these are you know kind of a class of enemy generally. I mean, you're gonna find more feral ghouls than you find character ghouls. You're gonna find more enemy super mutants than NPC super mutants, but they still bring that humanity back. And again, like I said, that's one of the things I really adored about God Dog is that dichotomy and them bring that characterization about yeah yeah makes sense uh soybean um oh Nunimer, do you have one more thing to add to this uh yeah um just i guess i'm kind of going with the theme talking about the aesthetics of the different uh, dlc packs but sure. um similar to what sunless was saying about um it reminding him of um silent hill i definitely see that i'm a huge silent hill fan so i definitely see that but for me i just actually did a replay of dead money in prep for the podcast and I was struck with how much it gave me Bioshock vibes, hmm. um, which I didn't remember feeling that way when I first played it. So it was kind of weird, uh, kind of the way how it's this um, place of, you know, uh, that's supposed to be all beautiful and it's all, you know, broken down. It's sort of a nightmare version of what it was. Yeah. Um, Aperture saying in the chat, Art Deco vibe, definitely. Yeah. And uh, the fact that also there's those uh, vending machines that you can use to get supplies uh, that reminded me a lot in the way that they looked, uh, again, with the Art Deco of um, the vending machines in Bioshock as well. Obviously, you know, it's a different, very different experience in Bioshock, but just kind of kind of gave me some similar vibes. And I was actually just uh, just playing through the part with Christine um, a couple days ago. And it's just, it's heartbreaking when her, when you have dialogue choices with her, since she can't talk, it all just describes what she's doing or 
the gestures she's making. And when she realizes that she can't talk and she puts her hand on her throat and realizes it, it's just, um, just heartbreaking. It, it was, uh, mm-hmm. like you were saying before, you know, the, the vibes that, uh, obsidian could uh accomplish with their writing and in this case without even any dialogue with, with lack of writing stuff. yeah with like yeah with just <laughs> uh, pantomiming as a aperture aperture is filling in on my missing gaps here um the yeah. pantomiming just uh was really powerful and well done yeah solid points well thanks for bringing this one up uh soybean i think you got everybody humming on the the new vegas you, you, uh, listen i put a lot of weight on your shoulders and i think you carried it very well so we'll, no just, we'll just say that. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, let's move on to Aperture. Aperture. Hopefully, your uh, you don't break up too much as we're talking through this. Um, if, it does, if it does, well, you can phone it in, and we'll, we'll get through it. But you you are going to discuss uh, dead money. So let's see how this goes. No, I'm not. You're not doing dead. Mo- oh, honest hearts. I'm sorry. I read the wrong one. We just mentioned dead money. My, That's like, oh, my, shit, uh, do I have the wrong notes? We're, you're going to also <laughs> talk about the same thing that Soybean just talked about. No, you're talking about Honest Hearts. Uh-oh. That's the next one. Yes. <laughs> uh, I pray for the safety of all good people who come. Believers and Gentiles alike. We can't let God do all the work. This is like when the topic of favorite DLC up, it wasn't... Um, like the, the, there wasn't even a, a second thought. It, I've always just been so in love with um, with Honest Hearts. Um, most people know it for uh, um, the highly quotable and visually distinct character of Joshua Graham. How he's so heavily linked in with uh, all the other um, DLC, Caesar's Legion. But I kind of like it for its its lesser characters, if that makes any sense. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Graham is the one that is all in the bandages and has the big the burnt long, man. Yeah, the big yeah. long terrible history with uh, what was going on with um, uh, the Legion. Got, yeah. Got cover- he he was uh, Caesar's first legate um, after they failed the Battle of the Hoover Dam. He got covered in pitch and thrown lit on fire and thrown yeah, rough times to prove yeah to prove that uh failure would not be tolerated at any level yeah um, yeah but you like the other characters so uh, what other characters specifically well I'm, i've always been a fan of daniel uh it, it, it's the um, the mormon stand-in and i can't believe i'm new canaan the new canaanites mm-hmm. uh he's the new canaanite uh missionary basically one of the last few survivors is, uh, is they call it a tribe or church. Um, I, I've always thought he was a very interesting character, but my favorite character in this entire DLC is one you don't even. And uh, sorry, I you broke up a little bit. Is, is one you don't even. You don't even meet him. You okay. don't even. Randall Clark, the survivalist, father in the cave. Uh, oh. I, fi- I find his story to be incredibly heartbreaking. Um, and it- it's, it's another, um, it's another instance of obsidian putting in a, a sad story that for the most part is not a feel good. It has a happy ending, but it- it's more bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so Randall Clark was us, um, 
uh, I think he was a, a National Guardsman. Um, he was on leave uh, during 2077 bombs fell. And I'll mention, you learn all of this through, um, through terminal entries uh, in hidey holes in the caves. But without Randall Clark, this DLC would not exist. He is the single most important character in this entire um, DLC simply because he is the foundation for uh, the Sorrows tribe. Now, uh, I could spend an hour talking about um, but TLDR, uh, he was in the park when the bombs went off. He survived. He hid out in a cave for a long more than the death of, death of his wife and child over in Salt Lake City. He was supremely depressed, suicidal. He hated himself. He thought he was a coward for not going to uh, home to find his, his, his wife. He tried at one point, but he couldn't even find the street. Um, he thought he was a coward for not being able to take his own life. And he just was basically living this existence that uh, he wasn't sure why he kept going on. One day after, I think it was like 17 years of this, he uh, encountered a group of Mexicans that came to Zion National Park, where he was hiding, and um, watched them from afar. When he saw one got hurt, separated from the group, he sort of led the rest of the group to this person who got hurt, secretly delivered them antibiotics. He didn't want to interact with them, though he was desperate for human interaction. Uh, just because he was scared, I guess. Mm-hmm. He he didn't want them to see who he was because he hated himself so much. Anyways, he helps them for a while, unseen. And then um, all of a sudden, um, you know, they, actually, it's not all of a sudden. They, you know, they, they start kind of living and making a life for themselves. And then our friends from Vault 2 show up. And uh, as I'm sure most of us remember from Tom's excellent episode on Vault 22, the <laughs> plant vault, um, <laughs> they were a expedition sent out, uh, you know, some of the survivors from that vault. It was 113 vault dwellers. They showed up at Zion National Park and uh, they just sort of started wreaking havoc. They uh, killed all the men. They captured the women. In- and uh, you know, uh, originally it was kind of, he kind of believed that they were going to have their way with the women, but um, because, quote, one of the one of the vault dwellers, being a woman in that vault was not a, uh, but the women all fired their guns, so they killed them. Um, Randall kind of goes and kind of goes on a righteous vengeance. He's like, these children, they're in pens. Yeah, uh, the vault dwellers, the children. So, uh, not ideal. <laughs> uh, so Randall, you know, being his stealthy self, he just kind of starts slaughtering them. He he spends two weeks straight up murdering them at ev- at every chance without being seen, using their own weapons, their own frag grenades, setting traps, bombs, uh, until he's after a series of like a year of doing this, he's able to whittle them down. 32 survivors 
And uh, finally, when this new guy is elected as overseer, like we have an evil demon chasing us we need to get the hell out of here <laughs> right and we have anger to spirit if you think you're gonna find a life for yourself you will only find death goodbye and so he got the hell out of there and yeah. he thought okay well i've avenged the evil's death um you know time to blow my brains out but then he hears screaming and he finds that one of the women had been like, she got caught in a bear trap so he um, I'm really rushing this. There's a lot more emotion attached to it. Believe me. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but, I'm sure. Any any of these topics, we could do an entire episode on or more. Oh, because there's easily. so much there. Yeah, easily. Um. Anyways, he rescues this woman. He hears her story. He falls in love with her, and then two years later, it's revealed in a, a journal entry that uh, she's pregnant. Yay! Um. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it doesn't end well for him. Uh, the journal entry where we learn this, it starts out with him saying, I'm terrified. I failed my last. I can't do it again. Um, Sylvia was her name. Uh, she goes into labor and um, you know, she, she tries to give birth to this child, but uh, unfortunately the child... Um, didn't happen. It didn't go so well. He didn't exactly have a midwife. He'd he'd gone and scavenged some medical books and he attempted a C-section, but unfortunately, Sylvia and the child, uh, young baby Michael, uh, died. So once again, he's heartbroken. He's suicidal, um, and he just kind of keeps surviving. Ghouls show up at the park. He puts down the ghoul. Uh oh. Did you, the years you pass. Okay, there you Sorry. are. That's okay. I, thought, I wondered uh, if maybe we lost you. Oh, no. Um, years pass, and it's his 60th birthday, and he says to himself, you know, happy birthday to me. What do you get a man who has everything? Uh, I believe his exact words were, bottle of whiskey and a shotgun slug to the roof of your mouth. And then the next post is just him going, yeah, I could Maybe next year I'll get two bottles. Uh, a few more years pass, and old man at this early 70s, late, late 60s, early 70s, he's like, what am I doing with my life when a group of children arrive in Zion? So once, a, once again, instinctively protective of children, and he, he sees this opportunity. It's, uh, I think it was uh, 12 children, or no, it was 24 children, I and in his stealthy self, he never actually interacted with them. He would leave them gifts, leave them stories, because he noticed that they were literate. And they were all talking about, well, we escaped from this, the, the school. That's, it was just this ominous place they referred to as the school. And they, you know, the, the range of the children was four and like 14. And if they wanted to get the little children to behave, they'd say, oh, the principal's going to come get you. So we never actually learn what the school is, but um, I figure it's some vault tech on awry. Yeah, um, yeah. So he becomes a father figure without actually meeting these children. He learns all about them. And how they, one's personality. He's like their secret stories. Santa. Exactly. He's like a, a secret Santa who, with a, uh, an automatic <laughs> rifle. Yeah. Yeah. The best secret. kind. A secret badass Santa. 
Yeah. Um, and kind of mentors these kids and growing up in good people, be kind to each other, bend yourselves when you be kind. And, you know, he, he gives them the skills they need to survive out here because he had always been an outdoorsman. So he was able to teach them through notes and proxy and gifts how to survive. And um, this is where the story becomes bittersweet because mm-hmm. uh, he's the late 80s or sorry, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, it's hard for him to. His mind was still sh- super sharp, but his body was wearing down. He figured he caught cancer. So he leaves a final long note for them saying, you know, he always signed off the notes as the father. He, he left this long note saying, I love you. I'm not going to, I'm going to be silent from now on, but I'll always be watching it. I can't interact anymore. And he said something nice about each one of them. He named them all off personally. And he basically said, I'm going away, but I'll always. I'm, I give you Zion Cannon as a gift for the sorrows that mankind. Um, and so that you, and so from that, uh, we learn, you know, you remember what the name of the main tribe in, uh, this DLC is getting back to present. Time. You're trying, you, you, the whole reason you're pulled into this to help the tribe of the sorrows. So without Randall Clark, the sorrows tribe, which stemmed from that group of children, not have been able to actually make it. They would have died as kids instead of growing in a large tribe that is now being hunted by the uh, white legs. Mm-hmm. So Randall Clark, he climbs a tall mountain. He says, it's cold enough out that let's die. He climbs a tall hill. He stares up at the sky, the, 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 sky, the, the, the night sky with the stars, he just lets the elements take him. And you can actually find his body, and it's where you get a unique piece of armor and a unique rifle. And um, It ended up being my favorite set of armor because it's essentially ranger armor without NCR badging. So you get that cool trench coat and the cool helmet without uh, yeah. Yeah. being... But the story behind it is just so bittersweet and sad, and it's so easy to just kind of um, bypass it. Like, if you don't pay attention, you won't know it's there. Right. This is the most important character for this entire DLC. Otherwise, the sorrows wouldn't be there. This DLC wouldn't exist. Right. Yeah. Very solid Randall stuff. Clark. Man, man, everyone's everyone's bringing the the tear sh- the tear shedders, huh? Oh, <laughs> the middle yeah. of these episodes always gets really like, oh yeah, that. Oh, that's well, I really can make sad. it worse. I can make it worse for you. <laughs> um, um, that's fine. Z- I'm okay with worse. Um, Zion has a, an incredibly sad scene, and um, when you're looking for the compass for one of the missions, you actually come across a crashed bus. It's not any. This bus is cla- fallen off a collapsed bridge, and it is filled with. Um, Tiny skeleton is a scout bus. Boy Uh-oh. scouts, girl scouts, Uh-oh. children's corpses, lunchboxes, oh, toys, dinky dinos. Not Sad. dinky dinos. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's dinky dinos. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So that. Oh, I forgot to mention the god that the sorrows pray to 
the Jesus Christ analogy that they have uh-huh. is called the father in the cave. Right. They don't reason they don't go in the caves is he booby trapped all his caves because he didn't want the vault uh, vault boys coming in. So there's frag mines, shotguns, trip wires, bear traps, all that. So yeah. sorrows who go in there don't come out. They think it's punishment from the father in the caves, where really it's just Randall's mines oh, traps man. set up. He never was able to tear down. Right. <laughs> that's, ugh. that's unfortunate for them. That's uh, yes. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Let's open it up Sorry to everyone about the else. Story. It's no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, Nunamur, what do you want to add? Yeah, just um, it. Uh, I guess I'll carry on with the aesthetic thing. It was also a very beautiful uh, DLC. You got drinkable water everywhere you go. If you're low on stim packs, you can just uh, stand in the river and drink all the water you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides that, the, the companions, uh, follows chalk and waking cloud. I love those. Oh, I love they, yeah, they were so awesome. And just a brief, um, story following, um, follows chalk. If you have him with you, when you go to that, uh, the bus that had fallen into the river, um, he it's says, glib about it. yeah, well, no, he, he doesn't understand because he says that. The bodies are small for scouts because when he hears that they were scouts, like, 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 um, boy scouts, he thinks he hears scouts and he thinks like tribal scouts, military tribal, like, yeah, like the strongest of the tribe would be the ones that would be sent out as scouts. So he doesn't understand why it's all these small skeletons because he thinks they should actually be some of the larger people. So he says, these bodies, they say they were scouts, but these bodies are awfully small for scouts. And uh, I, I just came across because, again, I, I just recently replayed this one. And um, I, I really liked him. And I, lo- I loved his um, perspective on, like, he's very curious about the outside world and what happens. And he says something funny about the uh, dinosaur at Novak about uh, do people really live inside of a, a something he says, something giant like lightning fire. lizard. Yeah. Giant lightning lizard. That's it. Yeah. And he's just so curious and it's, it's fun to have a companion with you that doesn't know about the world you came from and has yeah. all these like almost like this, like childlike curiosity about everything going on. And he, he was a very cool character. I liked, I liked traveling around with him. See, I must have gotten a different dialogue. Uh, or like, th- there must have been a few loaded up for that encounter because when I went there with him, he said, um, "Oh, this is why um, your own two feet are better than any cart, whether pulled by animal or on its own." And I, I was like, <laughs> "Wow, dude, there's, there's there's dead children in there." <laughs> huh. So, yeah, no, I, I love how he says. Uh, he asks you to ask Graham something like, Oh, I would have never had the growings do that. Huh? Okay. <laughs> Victor. Um, I just, this is, I mean, I love all of the DLCs to be perfectly honest. And, um, with the story of the father in the caves and the children, that's something that I actually hadn't thought of that I'll be touching on. And, uh, my bit next mm-hmm. but i i just wanted to reiterate like joshua graham i like the dichotomy of joshua graham versus daniel like joshua graham is definitely militaristic there's no getting around it and with 
Daniel, he wants to keep things as peaceful as possible. And so it's definitely interesting to see these two dichotomies and uh, the whole aspect of new Canaanites coming out of, obviously, Salt Lake City, which is mm-hmm. um, uh, Church of Latter-day Saints, Mormonism, all that. But I, I keep saying this because I can't stop thinking it, is that Joshua Graham is a character who benefited from a lack of animation. Um, oh, when, I think of, when I think of Joshua Graham, I think of when you see him in the cave and he is sitting there inspecting and loading 1911s and talking with you, and he never stops. He's just mechanically checking the guns, reloading, and talking to you in a very matter-of-fact way, uh, be it about uh, Caesar's Legion, about religion, about any of these things. He's just like, this is where I stand. And you can either follow me or get out of the way. Which... I, I, I don't know about lack of animation, but I'd say that lack of features is probably fast. Yeah, that, that's probably a better way. So he benefits from not really having a face, to be perfectly yeah. honest. He's not unsettling. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't fall into that uncanny valley. You just see this man who's swathed head to toe in bandages and is very stoic. And it, it's, it's really fitting. And Josh, like I said, Joshua Graham's just one of my favorite characters that I've seen in video games. Combination of his backstory, his writing, the line delivery itself, and the animation and character design. It's just an incredible piece of work out of uh, Obsidian. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we do this? Because we're about halfway through our list and we're over an hour in. So I'd want to make sure everyone gets time to talk and this, this doesn't run too late. So why don't we just slide right in? Since, Victor, you're, you're doing old, old World Blues next. Why don't we just slide right into that since all of these kind of run into each other anyway? Does that sound sure. good? Sure. What's along? So yeah. old, old World Blues. Uh, one of my favorites. Um, besides the fact of all of the robo brains being horny on Maine and all of the insane uh, appliances in the sink, um, <laughs> <laughs> are highly amusing. I what I love about Old World Blues is about the history and callbacks to actual history and alternative history and the building of the lore there. Um, I had forgotten how hilarious and weirdly sexual but not that the robo brains are <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a describe this for anybody who hasn't played it oh god okay so you enter you you enter the big empty empty like an empty bottle right and it's empty find- but it also means empty right people say right. think it's big empty because nobody's gone in there so they think there's nothing there well, it's actually the big MT because it's a big mountain. And it was the big mountain think tank uh, for scientific development and research uh, for the United States military, mostly. And you end up going in there and uh, you're lobotomized. Actually, specifically, your brain <laughs> is removed, your heart is removed, and your spine is removed. <laughs> and somehow you're able to still get up, walk, talk, and you walk in to the think tank itself, and there's these robo-brains who have, I love the way they're designed, with like the eyes and mouth on separate monitors, and so they create expressions mm-hmm. in those monitors around. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool looking. And they're like, how is a lobotomite speaking to us? Well, wait, he doesn't have a brain. He could go against Mobius. 
um, they all have ridiculous over the top dialogue and voices, and they've been robo brains for over 200 years. So they don't really have an attachment to human bodies to the point where they're disgusted by the lobotomites because they can't, they can't reason, they can't think, they can't talk, that they actually are slightly disgusted by human bodies. But they're also, they, they were human, so they're still kind of interested in it. Um, the one that most people remember is uh, Dala. Dala, and she calls you her teddy bear, and she talks about her teddy bears. And, like, the the thing that you can do once a day to get stuff from her is to, like, just breathe on her or start talking or moving your mouth around. Like, she's fascinated by it. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I will admit, the main plot of Old World Blues is not why it's my favorite. It's a fantastic plot about um, protecting the Mojave from mad scientists. But the okay. things you discover in exploring the big empty are what make it my favorite. Um, okay. So I've, things like, things like what? Like little Yang Z is, is really where this kind of focuses in on. Uh -huh. So everyone knows my, my main thing with fallout is the history. So just to give everybody a, a brief overview in world war two in the United States in California, there were internment camps for Japanese Americans. They were rounded up and they were put in internment camps out of the bare thought that they might be Japanese traders. Right. Most of these people wouldn't even think about it. And the thing is, is don't think that this is something that's like super far in the past. George Takei actually was in one, if I remember correctly. Yes. This is yeah, from Star Trek. Trek. Yes. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. old enough to have been a child at the time. Yeah. Yeah. He was a child and went there. Um, and of course, uh, of course, after World War II happened, everybody kind of left it, and then America shushed it up. In American history, with World War II, our interaction with Japan was really on the down low. Everyone was focusing on Europe, the Western Front, or the Eastern Front over there, and the Germans. While we were fighting against the Japanese at the same time, it was a lot less personal because it was talking about like planes and ships and then numbers of bodies dead. And you didn't get the letter that, you know, Tommy got shot in the trenches. Because of this, after the war, there was the growing tension between the United States and Russia. This is the first frosts of the Cold War. Americans couldn't get any of the Japan Japanese, couldn't get any of the German scientists. The high-ranking German scientists were in the Nuremberg trials, and everyone knew that these German scientists were awful because they experimented on uh, Jewish people and other people that were in concentration camps. Mm -hmm. Nobody really thought about what was happening in Japan, and Japan had Unit 731. A lot of their procedures actually were not very scientific whatsoever, but they were doing human experimentation. And... After the war, we gave quite a few Japanese scientists amnesty from their war crimes that they committed in exchange for the scientific notes that they took. I'm bringing this up because this brings up the biggest part of the biggest divergence between our world and Fallout, which in our world, the Red Menace was Russia. In Fallout, the Red Menace is China. Right. You're dealing with a country who is already primed and racist against any kind of Asian American. And then the Red Menace, rather than being, you know... Uh, Europeans, boring, basically. Europeans, yeah. it's, it's Chinese. So they, right. could, they couldn't get those Japanese scientists. 
And we see a lot of what that difference makes in the research and development of things in American uh, military research and development. Uh, biggest example I can give, it a, give, give an example for is that America built power armor. The Chinese made stealth suits. And that is two completely different branches of thinking where in America, at least during the Cold War, we were going towards espionage because we had certain kinds of information. We went towards stealth, secrecy, espionage. But that's not how it happened in Fallout. And how this leads back to, to Old World Blues, and I do apologize for the tangent, is they had Little Yang Z, and it was a, a, a camp for it's an internment camp for Asian Americans and supposed tra supposed traitors. Uh, depending on the terminal you read, they're either Amer uh, Asian American citizens being held for their own safety, or they are traitors simply because they are of Asian descent. And they mm -hmm. get experimented on. They get robo dogs sicked on them. They get put into robo-brains. They get put into the why something or other trauma harnesses that turn them into, you know, skeletons that will kill you, essentially. And all, it's just so much human experimentation happening on people because America didn't care. America didn't care that these people were being hurt because, well, China's awful. Who's not to say that there aren't, you know, people right. with Chinese family who are spawned here in America? Yeah, it was justified. It was justified. Yeah. Uh, as a side note, getting back to what I was saying about the school, you find out in Old World Blues that one of the experimental runs takes place in a mock-up of an American school. And uh, at some point, I think it was during the EMP blast or whatever, at some point, a whole bunch of the people who had been forced through that school um, experimentation chambers, they're the ones who escaped to Mount Zion. And end up being seen by the survivalists. And just overall, this whole concept of human experimentation, the direction of human experimentation that was being taken, how much further America went down the road of us versus them, and them are less than human, and therefore it is totally fine to experiment on them, harm them with robo-dogs, vivisect them that yeah. it, 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 it's a little bit, it is extreme, clearly, but it is still a corollary of what humanity will do when it becomes us versus them. Yeah, yeah. And this is something I've addressed a lot on the show, is this idea of anytime, anytime you create an us versus them dichotomy, it is a psychologically a way of justifying that the them is no longer human in the same way that you are, and therefore yeah. justifies that you can get away with uh morally ambiguous things which you wouldn't ever do on a human but it's okay because they're not humans and anytime that happens anytime you have uh it is a red warning flag anytime in history when any person of any prominence creates any sort of us there versus them dichotomy that is that is the beginning of a justification for doing things that otherwise would never be tolerated um and I wish more people understood that because it gets used over and over and over again. These, the things that humans do in order to justify the terrible things that humans do are, are always, they always fall within the same patterns and that's just yeah. one of them. Yeah. 
on on a lighter note, I will admit that there is quite a bit about this uh, DLC that I like that is not just based in, you know, the dark, gritty lore of post-World War II American ex- human experimentation and, you know, the Cold War that eventually grew into the um, American Sino War or Sino-American mm-hmm. War. But there's also some uh, things to note, like specifically out of all of the DLCs, all of the other DLCs um, for New Vegas only has maybe a bare handful of Wild Wasteland events. Old World Blues has 11. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, and it's hilarious. And there's just a whole bunch of other references and themes to sci-fi references that aren't Wild Wasteland. uh, You know, they... if you don't pick the Wild Wasteland perk, you will still see these references. And for me, when you're not looking at the lore and uh, Christine following, following Father Elijah through the Big Empty and everything, with the way they wrote the scientists, it really captures the very campy, sci-fi, like original run of Star Trek, uh, over-the-top science uh-huh. fiction in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah. Just being ridiculous having and reveling in it like one of the references even to red dwarf which is sci-fi comedy from britain yeah yeah and yeah. it's just it, it it's definitely uh the, those are the two things is a how absolutely hilarious this dlc is when you're focusing on the here and now and then the history and how dark and the allegories to our real world that happens when you're looking at what they did in the past right Right, and it's so one-sided in the other. So yeah, that's that's a lot of why I enjoy this this uh, DLC quite so much. Yeah, the historical links. Interesting stuff. Um, does anyone else want to chime in about Old World Blues? I know we're we're trying to keep this concise in order to make sure that we get through things in time. But if you've got some quick things to say, go for it. Numer, my thing is one word, so that's pretty short. Um, trippy. That trippy <laughs> is just so trippy the whole experience and it makes sense that there's so much wild wasteland stuff there because the whole thing is just so otherworldly and trippy i mean from the moment you see the funny multi-monitor computer faces like the whole thing is just like okay this is this is weird aperture did you have something to add yeah i want to say that this has got some of the best dialogue of any of the new vegas dlc (laughs) like like best non-serious dialogue Oh my god, are those penises on his hands? Like, gold! <laughs> Who thinks of that? Gold. Who thinks of that? Right. Dude, look, there's another set of, of interactions where you can, like, do physical things, like, exhale loudly and run your hands down your face, or, like, move your mouth or whatever in front of Dala. And she's just like, why are you suggesting me to this human formography? Clearly reference <laughs> pornography. And, like, <laughs> you have to get some energy cells for some sort of weapon. And she's like, oh, all of mine are empty because I was using it with my vi- uh, uh, vivisector. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> if, you look, if you look at the captioning, it's vi, as in, almost about to say vibrator, and then she changes the, <laughs> changes right. the word. Right. And so the, the inhumanity of the robots leads to just some of the most hilarious dialogue yeah um anyone else want to chime in 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I think we just lost Aperture. I think he might have had something else to say, but we just lost him. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. My name is Brian Burton. It's been 26 years since the bombs fell. And since I've left the vault, I've been trying to rebuild. This isn't the Appalachia that I remember. There's so much more to everything going on. And I promise to find the answer. So if you're out there, if you're listening, just hone in on these coordinates. Remember, there's a place for you at the end. Omega. The Omega Broadcast Fallout Story is available on iTunes, Spotify, and many great podcasting sources. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Well, great. Why don't we why don't we roll this one right into Lonesome Road with Sunless Sketcher? Because that wraps up the New Vegas section. Sunless, go for it. All right. Uh, well, I guess I'll introduce this one with the probably the, the single book that sums it up the best. Who are you that do not know your history? Um, Lonesome Road is probably my favorite DLC. A couple of reasons. Uh, first, aesthetics of it. I know that seems to be a theme day, but just in any of the games I love, the areas that feel like an end world. Uh, the Glowing Sea in Fallout 4. Uh, mm-hmm. The Ash Deep in 76. Nowhere even, even more than the Sierra Madre in New Vegas, the divide feels like the end of the world. Just the, the sky that's torn and the clouds everywhere, the Hopeville, the city that's just shattered. Um, it really, they really captured that feel fallout, I think, there. Um, also, just the story of it. When you're hearing from Ulysses, you're, you're getting. Instead of the story of companions at the Sierra Madre or the tribes or the scientists, the story of Lonesome Road is your story, the story of the courier. This is who you were before it was the player stepped in to become the courier. And it's, it's just this amazing feeling of kind of tying the themes together. It gives your character you know, a starting place where they came from. It also it ties in that idea of history you see in Dead Money, where the theme is letting go of the past. Uh, the history that you see with the tribes, then um, where World Blues, the endings reference, you know, phrase Old World Blues being nostalgia for the past. Lonesome Road is we're facing your past one last time, and then you make the choice. You walk away one way or another, past is the past. You can make a choice with Ulysses in there. Um, 
save him or let him die to kill him. And he, Ulysses represents your past just as much as the fight itself does. So what do you do with your history? Are you going to, to wipe it out? It that didn't exist? Are you going to let him live? And your history is still there, who you were before. Right, yeah, it's this like fundamental dilemma. Which, which can relate to anybody, right? Like, what do, you, what do you do with your past, with regrets, with situations that you wish hadn't happened, or uh, tough life choices, things like that? Exactly. And I mean, it applies, you know, to people, applies to countries, because that's sort of the missiles under that, that caused the station were past of America from before the war. It's just that, that theme of, what, is your, what do you do with your past? Do you, it doesn't exist, or do you accept it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an, that's an interesting way of um, looking at it, the, the whole analogy for that all the way around. Cool stuff. I, I think it, it you know, within my understanding of the chronology is that's the last of the story before you move on to the battle at Hoover Dam. Just it feels like that very very good way of wrapping everything up before the end. Mm-hmm. Cool. Do you want to add anything else before we open it up for other people to chime in? Uh, no, I don't think so. Cool. Who else has thoughts on Lonesome Road? I think Aperture. Were you the first one to? Uh, sure. Hey, um, hey, go for it. Hey, here I am. Um, Ulysses has got to be one of my favorite characters in Vegas um, that you actually meet. <clears throat> Um, simply just the the absolute aesthetic of the character, the way he speaks, and how he actually provides a sort of positive. Like he was originally supposed to be a pro Caesar's Legion companion. He, like he was supposed to, you were supposed to be able to take him right into the wasteland with. Him, but he got scrapped at the last minute. That's why he's the the um, antagonist of this DLC. Mm-hmm. I just I love him. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Denise? Yeah, I was going to say that I, I think one of the most favorite things that I enjoyed about it, uh, you know, aside from, you know, finding out about your past and having to go through all that, is also finding out about your companion uh, Edie's pa- uh, or Eddie's past and what exactly happened with the, your little iBot friend and the kind of heartbreak, you know, he had. And he was just looking for, you know, that companionship again. And so then when you go through all of it and you find all the information on it, you feel a little bit better knowing that, you know, you were able to get to know him a little bit more and still have him as a companion, which uh, you can actually get a higher perk. Uh, after finding out all of his uh, memories and stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure writes, Eddie, no! <laughs> uh, Victor? Yeah, I, I actually had totally forgotten about the whole Eddie, I don't want to say subplot, but because like, it's kind of the the last carrot that drags you down into Lonesome Road is finding all this stuff out about Eddie. But yeah, no, I agree. Finding out, finding out more about Eddie, and I believe Eddie was created by an Enclave scientist, I want to say. I don't remember precisely, but I, I remember mm. really in, uh, what we found out about him. But 
going along again with this, you know, all of these DLCs have the theme of letting go. What I really love about how, like, no matter which way you end up having to end the DLC with Ulysses, be it um, you have to kill him or you fight alongside him. It allows Ulysses to let go because as all you go through all of these DLCs, he's clinging to the old world flag as kind of the last thing because he can't, um, you know, he no longer uh, will hold on to the bear or the bull, but he feels like he has to hold on to something. And so as this DLC goes on, he learns that he can let go and move on. And I think that seeing the path, the, the journey that they're wanting our career to go through seeing that mirrored in the end with the antagonist that kind of runs through all of the DLCs mm -hmm. is a really moving thing to see. See that, that letting go with Ulysses himself. Yeah. Interesting stuff. All right. I think we're wrapping up New Vegas. Sunless, anything else to add before we move on? Nope. Nothing else. Okay. Well, hey, we've got uh, Faith on, on now. Welcome to the show. And uh, we're going to jump back to Fallout 3 before we move on to Fallout 4 and talk about Mothership Zeta. Faith on, how's it going? It's going. It's going. It's going. Well, I'm glad you, yeah, well, I'm glad you were able to make it to the show. Thanks. Yes. Thanks for, for jumping in. Even if you're late, that's no, not a big deal. And, um, I'm glad you're going to be able to talk about Mothership Zeta, Zetans, you know, aliens, all that kind of stuff. What makes this DLC uh, one of your favorites? Um, well, I will say that uh, there's a bunch. Well, so when I was playing through it, I found um, recently that there was an, a log that um, connected to Fallout 76. And so that's what made this one shoot up to one of my favorites. Um, there was a log where there was a vault tech like high chairman or something like that, you know, big, big wig up in the vault tech area. And the Zaydens actually had uh, kidnapped him from the construction site of vault 76. And that I found that like really uh, interesting. Um, but then I just also like the, uh, Sorry, um, the alien weaponry, and there's a perk that you can only get on the Mothership Zeta uh, DLC, and it's the Xenotech Expert. Um, and what was interesting was that you get it. Um, hold on. Oh, okay, no, never mind. Um, I remember killing a bunch of uh, aliens after uh, finding a firing range, or not aliens, with alien weaponry at a firing range. Um, and you get a uh, plus 20 damage with alien weapons, and it's just, you have to find a, a certain weapon, and it's the destabilizer. And the destabilizer was a, uh, hold on, let me look. It's a, um, it's basically the, uh, the alien disintegrator, but it has, um, it's automatic. Um, yeah, I remember of it. I don't remember too much yeah. specifically about it, but I do. Rem it, it it rings a bell. Going back, thinking a long time back now. Um, the alien or the destabilizer is different from the uh, disintegrators because of it's the only 
one that's automatic, but if you're in VATS, it only takes one shot, so it's kind of hmm. weird. Um, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't exactly prepared for this. I feel like I'm trailing off a little bit. <laughs> you're, you're fine. Um, you're fine. What else did you like about the, the DLC? Oh, uh, yes. So there's a uh, a companion that you can get while you're on the DLC. You can't take him down to the Capital Wasteland. Um, his name is Elliot Turkorian, and he is a uh, medic for... I don't remember if it was the... I think it was the U.S. Army. Um, but he gets teleported from the Battle of Anchorage all the way to uh, Mothership Zeta, and then he gets frozen, and then you cryo or decryo or however, whatever the... Yeah, the, right. Yeah. But he follows you around, and he has winterized medic armor and medic helmet, and he's pretty cool. Um, he can give you cryo weapons, uh, cryo mines, and grenades specifically. Uh, and then the... Okay, so I'm just going to go through the... Uh, storyline now instead of my favorite things um so <laughs> that's fine and and you can you can you know cut through it pretty quickly i think like yeah. uh, when i'm sorry to keep bringing this up but i, I want to make sure everyone gets through and that we're not too late running yeah through the yeah. episode um but yeah basically you're you find the alien crash ship right that's how it starts if i recall yeah you you actually get a uh, radio signal that's kind of garbled and you then you get a uh, waypoint on your pit boy and you go towards it, and as you're getting closer to it, it kind of clears out, but it also doesn't because the radio signal is in uh, alien. It's like the alien language, so you don't understand what it is, but it uh, mm -hmm. but it gets clearer. So if that makes sense. Um, and then once you see the uh, spaceship, you get teleported up to the uh, to the mothership, where you awaken in a uh, holding chamber. Well, you don't awaken in the holding chamber. You wake up you're on a table and there's these alien probe thingies and they're doing <laughs> unspeakable things to you as you come to and then you pass out supposedly from the pain um and then you wake up in a holding cell with a actual with a slaver um her name is soma um you find out she's a slaver through a just dialogue that you have with her um but she's like one of the more wholesome characters I feel on that DLC because like she just has that loving kind of uh, vibe to her. But I guess that's what made her a good slaver is that people would trust her like that. Um, so you can you have to escape the holding cell by beating up your cellmate, and then the aliens come. Then you beat the aliens up, and then now you <laughs> and your cellmate are best friends. So, <laughs> right. Right. And don't you eventually find like other people, correct? Oh, I don't know if I was just lagging right there. I think I was. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's okay. I, I said, uh, eventually you, you come across other people. You come across yes. other, other humans from different time periods that have all been like cryo preserved. Yes. And um, then at some point you, you continue to break out and take over the ship. Yes. Um, right. So you come across these cryopods um, or you can unfreeze a cowboy who has just lost his daughter and his wife and then you come across a samurai named toshihiro kago 
Mm-hmm. And he does not speak a lick of English, so it's kind of funny when you go to his dialogues and he's just like, why are you people tormenting me? I don't know any word that you're saying because it subtitles it for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think he's the oldest character in the entire series, I believe. Yep. He's a he's a very old man. He's just mm-hmm. sitting there. <laughs> well, yeah, um, but like he's from like the 1600s or something. originally. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. 1500s. Yeah. There's was one other person who was an astronaut, but he didn't survive being frozen. And you get to take his suit off of him because eventually you do go out into space and do a little spacewalk. Um, so how does this whole thing come to a head at the end? It comes to an end. Uh, you blow up all these generators that basically they're oxygen generators, so they suffocate the aliens. So they have to open up more and more levels for you to explore which to them, you know, seems like a bad idea, but right. whatever. Uh, so you finally make it up to the captain's uh, chambers into the deck, the foredeck or whatever it is for spaceships. And you kill all the aliens in there. And then all of a sudden, a- another mothership comes in. Well, it's a sister ship, I guess. But uh-huh. um, it comes in and then you have to take control of your ship's death beam and destroy the other ship with the death beam. Yeah, which raises the question, how many of these ships are there? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I know that uh, I think Elliot was talking about um, hopefully they're, they're not sending any more people, but if they do, they know how to uh, destroy them. Right, right. Yeah, very cool stuff. I, I love the fact that they, this was literally out of this world with this DLC, that they, mm-hmm. they took it somewhere completely bonkers. Um, especially at the time of Fallout Three, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think it was it was um, crap. I forgot the word for it. Um, okay, I'm just gonna backtrack on that then. That's all right. That's all right. Hey, let's open this up to other people. Did anybody else have any specific feelings about Mothership Zeta? Any other? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Uh, we've got a few people chiming in. Pink Titan. So, um. I absolutely loved this DLC, the weapons you get from it and everything. But I think one of my biggest gripes about it was that you only access, I think, after you complete the main storyline and everything up up in the ship, somewhere around like 70 to 75 percent of the the map from other ships Zeta is completely closed off. You cannot go back and access it, which especially for lower levels, especially if you don't have a high enough lockpick or hacking skill you're kind of screwed out of some of the good weapons that you can come across or some of the good armor or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that does make it difficult. Um, Victor. Um, this just goes back to my usual shtick of history, but I, I love all of like the history, the humanity's history progression that you see in everybody in the cryopods. You have Toshiro, um, there's also somebody who is essentially supposed to be off of like the Plymouth or the the Mayflower, like very early European immigrants to right. America start the colonies, and then the cowboy, and then the vault tech, the you know astronaut, <laughs> and the vault tech employee. Oh yeah, the and, cowboy. I remember him. Yeah, and like the little girl who got pulled up like just before the bombs dropped. Uh huh. And just seeing that historical progression and knowing that. Each one of them being taken out changes Fallout history, which gives us a little bit more detail into the fact that 
yes, there are divergences in our history that happened before the end of World War II. We mm-hmm. know the big ones in World War II, but getting little bits of detail about what happened before then is is really nice, and seeing all of them speak in the way they would have back then, and uh, and all that jazz. And of course, I, I totally agree. Having Toshiro like not be able to communicate at all because he can't speak English and we can't speak Japanese uh, just made him for a really interesting character, at least to me. Yes. Yeah. I always had this feeling that like he was just frustrated and ready to take on anybody because he's just pissed off. <laughs> can't communicate stuck on some alien ship. I thought that was really funny. Aperture. Uh, fun fact. When you reach the control room, you set off the laser gun for the first time? Yeah, you destroy Algonquin National Park up in Canada. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, poor Canadians. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, we get, the, we get the bad end of the deal most of the time in the Thank you very much. Yeah. Sorry about that, Aperture. Well, Faithian, anything sorry, else you want to add? <laughs> uh, no. Sorry, I wasn't too uh, ready, but that's okay you, you you rushed in you made it you made it into the show and i'm glad that, you, that you're here so um and feel free to chime in on any of the other, the ones that come up as we uh move into fallout 4 so yeah. um it's almost four o'clock in the morning for our friend uh <laughs> deadshot over here deadshot you're going to talk about automaton and that's probably that this one makes a lot of sense for you i think because you love modding the games and automaton is basically a mod dlc because you get to make all these robots and stuff. Is that? Am I going the right direction with this? Uh, similar. It's a DLC. It's actually one of the smallest DLCs that I know of, containing only four quests and one repeatable quest at the end, if you do the right ending. Uh, it has three endings, one of which is hidden behind the Silver Shroud quest. If you complete that quest line and keep this Silver Shroud outfit, it allows you to interact with the mechanist, the main protagonist of the DLC, who is just a normal person who thought they were doing good, but injected lines of code into robots to say, if you see evil, try and stop it. But then the robots obviously took on what they thought as evil. The quest adds two factions. One's Rust Devils, which are a regular-like faction who use robots. And it adds a new robots. 49 new types yeah. of robots. Yeah, there were lots of new robots, and then you can take all the parts and make there your own. There are yeah. 73 different types that you can add onto a robot figure with 365 armor add-ons to go with them. Two of which are special quest-hidden ones, the rest of which you need to find. Mm-hmm. There are, I believe, seven actual robots that you can make I bought Automatron and stuff like that, different ones like that. Um, I have the full breakdown here. If anybody's interested afterwards, you can kind of shoot yeah. me a message. Yeah, why don't you share that? Here, now here's here's my question. What what made this one stand out the most to you? Like what what why is is this your absolute favorite or is this just the one of the ones that you um, want to talk about? My I don't have an absolute favorite to be really okay. honest. Well what like. makes it one of your favorites? The was it the, was it the quest line? Was favorite. it the items? Like what what about the part it? that makes it one of my favorites is it's a it's not a story driven DLC like Nuka World or Far Harbor, and it's also not a building 
DLC like contraptions, it takes a mix right. of everything because you can be the explorer type and just do the quests, or you could be the builder type and make whole civilizations out of just robots. I was often known to when I'm making my towns for the Minutemen, I would make the security robots or the traveling merchant robots as a way of kind of building into the lore. Oh, that's cool. What it is. But yeah. also the unique clothing and weapons that come along with this. Uh, for example, you can get uh, Assaultron helmets and iBot helmets or uh-huh. Tesla T60 armor, which hasn't been seen since, I believe it was Operation Anchorage. But like you can get uh, Mr. Handy Buzz Blades and you can actually, I find this funny because... I'd never thought of it this way, but Assaultron heads, the ones that glow red before they shoot a laser, mm-hmm. you can salvage, I said that in quotation marks because that's what they're known as, salvage the Assaultron heads, but really you're building them. Um, They full on, it's like you rip the head off one of them, and it allows people who use radiation builds to use them because it gives you radiation in ex- them for output right right um which allows like if you're a radiation build it allows you to keep your maximum health while taking on radiation and if you have a perp like uh i believe it's ghoulified you actually gain health because you're gaining radiation which transits into health right so it's it's a lot of the gameplay stuff that you really like about this one yeah it's also stats at a relatively low level stats at level 16 which the game puts you around 16 when you're going to Fort Fort Hagen. I always say it wrong. I think it's Hagen. Uh, to fight Kellogg. He's supposed to be the boss before level 20. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because the way you receive this quest is you're, you open up your Pitboy radio and you listen into an emergency broadcast and you meet Ada, a robot. But she has had modifications to her to the extent where she actually feels emotions, which nowadays would be considered controversial because that then breaches the fact of what's a robot compared to a human if robots can also have emotions. But like even into settlement building, like I was saying, you have spotlights and you have a brand new settlement, you have the Mechanist Lair. And um, another thing that I kind of think is more a feature than a glitch, but people consider it a glitch, is the repeatable quest if you keep the mechanists alive. When you go on them, usually your settler limit is capped by your charisma. I think max Hmm. you have is 20 settlers at Mm -hmm. any given settlement. The repeatable quest sends you to fight teams of robots that will most of the time have one to three survivors and you can convince them to go back to your settlement regardless if they have your settlement cast at your capacity limit. They will oh wow, so there. does it just unlimits, it just basically removes the limit of yeah. settlers. It yeah. can break the game for smaller settlements like Hangman's Alley, but I found that it can actually heighten the game in other such settlements. Huh. And it's really handy. Um, there are four new types of bots actually added, which not many people know about. 
there's the swarm bots, tank bots, junk bots, and scrap bots. And there's two more bots that are never added, but are in the game's code, which I believe are like uh, tr- rubbish bots and stuff like this. Like uh-huh. bots. Uh-huh. I love, so part of what I loved about this one was being able to blow up robots. I just, there's something about fighting robots and the the way they break that is really satisfying to me. An interesting part about this mod, in my opinion, uh, well, DLC is the modifications to robots. Certain robots, as you probably know from playing yourself, have overabundant weaknesses. If you hit a, like, a Sultron, say, if you aim for their head, it does more damage than aiming for their body. Or Mr. Handies, if you aim for the turrets, it counts as a headshot. Mm-hmm. Um, this mod allows you to change that, or this not mod. This DLC allows you to change that because you can reinforce those parts of your bot to then, when you're going out with them, say you bring one as a companion, you're able to then fight uh, the other ones, and you're able to do more damage. Well, your bots don't take as much damage. Right. Similarly, right. you have um I find this quite funny as a name, but you've the Protectron's Goth rifle, which makes no sense considering every Protectron in the game, depending on the Protectron, carries a different set of things. So if it's a fire protectron, it will uh use water. If it's a EMT, it will electrocute. The uh-huh. Goth rifle is actually because there's a hidden version of the Protectrons in the game's code that was added in with this DLC that allows it to become this by adding an army general Protectron. So it's like the Enclave or something got a hold of them and rewrit their wiring. Another thing that I like about this is it shows how robot learning works. So in real life, usually robots learn by algorithm. You put in a set of strict codes, so say numbers, until the algorithm sorts this out. And each time you filter it back through, it will sort out a different time learning as it goes along. The mechanist does a similar thing with her bots, except instead of going through like that, she inputs the code of all evil, and so the bots have to learn for themselves what they consider evil, and uh-huh. that's why they go through and do what they do. Right. A lot yeah. of the bots that you can actually encounter can be legendary, which before this DLC made no sense. Legendary bots weren't a thing. Bots attacks weren't a thing. But it also added 16 new encounters to the game with different bots. Including one which I find hilarious, which is just a dead Mr. Handy on the ground with a note. <laughs> and it kind of throws <laughs> into the uh, Wastelanders a bit, as if yeah. they were trying to do a throwback. Yeah, man, that's funny. Well, hey, do you mind if we open this up to other people? Yeah, see what, what they thought about this? Uh, guys, what did you think about the Automaton DLC? Zemnies? A really amazing add-on that they did because I mean I know you had Codsworth but you couldn't really change the way he looked and that was one thing that kind of bothered me when the base game came out it was like you had this 
kind of really too shiny dome and you wanted to change it up or whatever you couldn't right and then when it came out you were able to do that and one of the fun parts about it was building the different robots because i actually made a really weird and wacky robot i had like i think part was a mr handy robot another like the top section of it was like a sentry bot then i had an assaultron head and all right. that kind of stuff yeah and it actually did some pretty pretty good damage with all that and then plus um being able to see the mechanist uh a second time in the series because i think it was fallout 3 i believe it was where uh there was the mechanist and, and that layer there so I thought that was a pretty cool way to bring it back into the series. Yeah. You're reminding me of the time when I took Curie and made her into this like badass like tank battle bot. And yeah. it was still her personality, but she was like like I don't know, I gave her just the the absolute. She had some sort of like I don't know, rotary laser gun and some sort of like badass up close weapon. I don't remember what it was and didn't look anything like herself, but still had the personality. Yeah, that's that's funny. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was literally was what I was going to bring up. You can take one of probably I would consider one of the most innocent companions. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yep. If anybody knows Tarot, I compare Curie to the wise fool. She is so full of knowledge and she's still curious, but she knows nothing of the real world. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Her into like practically a Terminator. And she still has a puppy little voice, but she can like. Oh, no. I don't know if we should be hurting these people. Yeah, it was. That's basically how it went. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite part about that one. (laughs) I know Nunamur had something to say. Nunamur, did you want to chime in? Oh yeah, it just I know that uh Deadshot had said that it's one of the smaller DLCs, but th- that DLC changed completely the way that I played uh Fallout 4 because I was very much into setting up the uh trading lines between the different settlements. And once I knew that you could assign robots to be the go-betweens your your settlements, I just built essentially an army of you know, modded, fully modded, like fully maxed out bots that would just run all the supplies in between my my trading uh, trading routes. And that way, instead of having a bunch of uh, people going back and forth with their soft, fleshy bits, that I had a bunch of a bunch of metal, you know, um, machines that could really handle themselves. The only drawback is occasionally, depending on how you built them, they could get stuck on terrain and stuff. But outside of that, as long as you knew what you were doing, you could build a build a whole army of robots, and it was so much fun. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty fun. Pink Light and Titan, did you have something you wanted to add to? Yeah, I just wanted to point out, probably one of, I had some of my fondest memories with Automaton, just because being able to build Codsworth, however you, since he's, <laughs> uh-huh. by this point, I had already had Curie in the synth body. So I was like, okay, I missed out on an opportunity to watch something fantastic go on. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have my British butler turn into something. So I turned him into just a, from like the neck down, he was just the um, Soltron with the blades on his arms. Uh uh And then I put the Jangles, the moon monkey head on him, the century, the the century head. And it was hilarious watching this 
intimidating a Soltron body running at like raiders or gunners with a moon monkey head on. Yeah, and his voice. Yes. And his voice. His voice lines as he was running running up to those good hello, good sir, as he stabs them through the spine. Right. Like yes. that, that was one of those moments that just had me dying of laughter every time I went into combat with him. Yep. Faith on? I remember uh, when I first did the Automaton DLC, I made sure that I had enough of all the parts and I made the biggest, most badass looking sentry bot, painted him bright yellow, and then gave him the cutest voice I could get. I don't remember <laughs> exactly what it was, but I also outfitted him with the cryo and the flamethrower. So he'd have to get in close and then you could hear him just squeaking and everything and you can't help but be like, oh, look at him, my little murder baby. Oh, murder babies. Awesome stuff. Well, good, good one, Deadshot. Uh, I know you have some more details and things. You've got like four pages of stuff. If anybody wants to see all of the details, in fact, if anybody wants to talk to you about any of the, um, I don't know, some of the modding stuff and things like that, Deadshot is the, the guy to go to talk to about that stuff. Um, let's roll. Let's move it on because this episode's going long. Let's get to, uh, do we need to do anyone specifically who's left? We have Firewriter, Zemnies, and Nunamur. Is there anybody who needs to head out sooner than the others? And we should, because we're moving into other Fallout 4 stuff. Nobody, nobody chiming on. We just keep going in order. All right. So we've got Far Harbor next with Firewriter. Hey, so I picked out three things that uh, really jumped out to me and made this my absolute favorite. And I think most of what it comes down to is a a lot of the uh, DLCs for four were more around like kind of I don't know how to describe it, like building. This one was so quest driven and story driven that that uh, really, really appealed to me. And um, two of the things that uh, really jump out to me that I really loved in this were um, kind of theme based. Um, One of the things that makes um, this one so interesting is how morally gray it is. And there's just, there's no real correct answer or faction to side with and when i'm playing i usually i'll try to get you know what i think of is you know the right ending or the the good ending but no matter mm-hmm. which way you choose in this one you're gonna feel like you've been manipulated by someone um yeah, yeah I, it, I think the, the it's gray the, yeah the best yeah. ending in my opinion is is to side with um acadia and but then if and, and bring Dima to justice, but then Dima dies, you wind up feeling like a jerk because you just killed Nick's brother, and then Nick comments on it, and you feel even worse. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, every of the factions here has characters who are good and who aren't good. You know, in the harbor where most people seem decent, you still have Alan Lee, who's basically a murderer, but nothing, nobody's done anything about it. Um, and then the nucleus seems like it should be full of bad guys, but it's not. Most of the people seem all right and they're just doing their, their thing. And the only real bad guy is Tectus, who's, you know, busy sowing seeds of hatred. Um, again, <laughs> you know, going, yeah. And, and Dile- then going dilemmas, to, dilemmas left and right. Is. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it for that, you know? Yeah. And then Acadia, it's the same thing where everybody seems really good, but then Dima, is so manipulative. He had to hide his own memories from himself and create this, the evilest puzzle game ever. And the one black mark on this DLC that I, I hated that part of it so much, (laughs) Um, you know, and the question kind of stands out there. Was he actually ashamed of the things he's done or is he just afraid of somebody else finding out, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So 
uh, most of the characters in this DLC feel really complex. Um, and, and I really like that. Um, so the other theme that really jumped out at me that I really like about this one is uh, the theme of kind of found family. Um, mm-hmm. So when you bring Nick with you, you can have some really good conversations with him about what makes someone your family. And um, whereas he and Dima obviously weren't blood related, <laughs> Dima definitely considers Nick to be his brother. And Nick isn't quite sure and he wants to talk to you about it, which is really cool to me. And um, in addition to that, just the whole concept of the Synth Refuge is very much found family. Um, and one clear example there is the pair, uh, Jewel and Cog, take care of each other very much like a brother and sister. And they're really interesting. And even their story really touches on a uh, morally gray theme um, where brain is damaged as a result of a botched mind wipe by Faraday and there's a lot of really interesting questions that come out of that with like is that Faraday's fault um and then how does that frame the work that the railroad is doing and are you know are there other students out there who are suffering like Jewel is suffering yeah and I think that all of those questions that are raised are really interesting um the third part of Far Harbor that I absolutely love um talked a lot kind of over this whole um episode about uh aesthetics and atmosphere and um harbor kills it on this um i love the music to it it's just really beautiful and moody um i i like to listen to soundtracks while i work and this is one of the ones that um i really love to put on it's it's just so good oh, cool. and then just the dreariness and the fog of the forested areas in the in here are a really sharp contrast to the commonwealth so it all just really ties together to kind of suit the whole overall mood of of the story of the dlc yeah it's another one of those dlcs where it's very different uh aesthetically than the main game yeah yeah that is very cool i figured nunamur would bring that up um, anyone else want to chime in <laughs> on Far Harbor? Zemnis, I see you down there at the bottom. Well, one of the things that um, I, I really appreciated about it was seeing that even since could make mistakes. And I mean, you kind of got the picture from Nick, but then you got to see a whole nother like community of different synths and things like that. And I think one of the favorite, my most favorite endings out of it, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but um, is actually where you can kind of make them work together, the people and the synths. Um, but you got to have a really good uh, speech or charisma for that. Um, and you got to do things in a certain order. So it takes a little bit of, uh, of time to do that. But just the all out uh, the general uh, environment that you were in, it felt like a whole different uh, wild place that was like an on island or something, you know. And it was just such a beautiful way that they were able to bring everything together and uh, seeing all new creatures that you didn't see before in the different fallout games i think was also another major uh yeah. part of why i enjoyed it yeah that was very cool too victor so 
Um, I'm just wanting to make sure I'm not misremembering. Isn't the isn't the vault that's part of a hotel full of the Robo Brains part of Far Harbor as well? Yeah, or am I that is part of it. <laughs> the murder mystery. <laughs> the murder mystery. I love that quest so friggin' much. Um, because you get to go on any like full on detective noir murder mystery with Nick Valentine, who is like the <laughs> of, you know, film noir detective. And it's it's so it's so funny and interesting to see all of these rich people who got put into robo brains, not because of their intelligence, which is what we saw in New Vegas, but because they have so much money they don't Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We lost you and then you came right back. Are you still there? I apologize. Yeah, okay. it, my phone does that occasionally. I do apologize. Um, but th- this, and then the whole murder mystery and learning about all the different personalities of all these different robo brains. And I loved the twist ending as well. I'm not going to spoil it because it's just so good. Uh, but the other part I love about it is that you get to have another moment uh, <laughs> similar to, um, oh God, I can't remember his name. The, the assault Tron that you can uh, recruit for the Atomic Wrangler in New Vegas, you can have a fade to black moment with one of the Robo Brains. <laughs> and it just, it, it is so funny that's, to me. That's funny. Um, but yeah, and overall, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, but my, I may, uh, my main romance, quote unquote, for, uh, for it's Hancock. But before Hancock, I wanted to romance Nick. I, I loved his character so much, I wanted to get to know him better, and then I found out that, nope, I've gotten my max affection, we aren't getting any further. So having Far Harbor around to just let you learn more about, not Nick Valentine the detective, because we learn about the human detective in his uh, companion quest in the main game, but learn more about Nick Valentine the synth, the man you know. And his history and how he feels about things uh, was just a really great opportunity for one of the, you know, quote unquote, main companions to, to get that much more backstory on him was just uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really cool. Pink Titan? I think probably my favorite part about the DLC was just all the different uh, new enemies that you came across. So you got like the Raider faction up there, which I believe was the Trappers. So you had all these raiders that were had succumbed to the fog and everything like that. You had the fog crawlers. You had the hermit crabs, which, oh, God, just the first time I came across one of those, it's it scared the daylights out of me. Just that thing uh, going to loot a back of a truck that just looks yeah. full of junk. And then all of a sudden a hermit crab pops out, pops out. Right. It's like the size of like bigger than a mile, like a regular size mire lurk. Yep. So I got really caught off guard. But one of the things I wanted to touch on was the crash, the crashed uh, plane in there where one of the rare occurrences of a friendly super mutant who literally just trains dog or like he domesticates like the local dogs. Like uh, when I went there for the first time, I want to say he had like a mutant hound. He had a wolf. He had a regular dog with him, And I think that was one of the coolest things. Cause um, granted we all love dog meat, but I feel like having a pet wolf or like a pet um, mutant hound at my settlements just made things so much more fun. <laughs> it's not quite as cute as dog meat though but yeah you've got a point anything else you want to wrap this up one up with uh fire oh, 
I think that's about it. Okay. Cool. Well, let's move on to Nuka World, and we're going to round out Fallout 4 with Nuka World with Zemnies. Well, yeah. the re- reason why I chose this one, because it kind of hit a little bit uh, on a home base for me, uh, and why it's part of my favorite, because um, it reminded me of a, a lake uh, that they had an amusement park at, pretty much, and you're able to go and do a whole bunch of things and so on. And <laughs> a specific one that we're not going to name. Uh, I think my my favorite, um, probably one of the roller coasters that they had. I forgot the name of it. Um, and being able to go and ride on that, um, and then plus also going and swimming on the lake up there. Um, also, another part of why I chose Nuka World was. They give you a very unique perspective on the Raiders because yes. yeah. in all the other games, you did have, you know, certain unique factions of them like the pit. Uh, and this one was kind of more of a higher society of Raiders. There was a lot more of them. Um, yeah, they still had like kind of like the slavery thing like they had in Fallout 3. But they had three different kind of uh, factions. There was the um, uh, let me look here. I think it was the pack, the disciples, and I forgot who the other one was. Uh, operators. Operators. Yeah. In. Yeah. Uh, and the I believe it was the. Uh, the pack one, uh, ones were like a more primal beast Joel. Yeah. They were very, yeah. very uh, animal like. Exactly. And they, they did things, you know, with a lot of show of strength and force and everything like that. And then like with the, uh, I can't remember if it was the disciples or the operators. I think, the bloodthirsty ones. They had like the really blood crazed, bloodthirsty ones. I think those were the uh the disciples. disciples. Yeah. They were the and, they were more like gothy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they, it was a very they were a very brutal uh part of the raiders. So and then you had yeah. like the operators who were more of a higher class raider where they were looking for money, but they had a specific code that they followed. Whereas mm-hmm. the other ones didn't really follow much of a code. And then, of course, they had the uh, the one uh, overboss, uh, Coulter, who you when you go first go in there, that's who you have to end up fighting. Right. Um, so it kind of brought a really unique perspective on that because. It showed you like a upper the, the high class, a middle class and then the low class, which would be like the. Uh, disciples where they were just really bloodthirsty savages of it and there was a lot of unique places i think my favorite place in nuka world actually my favorite two places i should say was um the wild west one uh where you had the i forgot the deputy's name there uh but he had like little things that you could go and do and they had of course new creatures in there uh like the blood worms which were horrible, horrible <laughs> to deal with. Um, but then you had like little odds and ends that you could go do. Like um, I think one was um, 
go into like a shooting range and you could go in and do that. Um, then you had my probably the ultimate favorite was where uh, you could get the power armor, the quantum power armor. Yeah. And I believe that was uh, they had a nuka nuka cola plant. And um, you could actually go in there, and there were Nuka, uh, there were Nuka Lurks, Nuka uh, Kings. Mm-hmm. There was the Nuka Lurk Queen. Yeah, the all throughout the the thing, there was the um, Nuka Cola. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And they kind of brought out like uh, kind of more deadly creatures with it. Um, you know, going through that, and I remember running into my first nuka lurk and i it kind of scared the crap out of me because it was hidden i didn't see it i was walking through the water all of a sudden it (laughs) popped up at me yeah yeah um but that was one thing that i I enjoyed was being able to go through that and getting the the quantum power armor and then also seeing like the quantum death claw uh which was like one of my favorite creatures throughout all the fallout games um, and then they brought in the Gator Claw, which was really a unique uh, spin on the the Death Claw. Yep. Um, and going through the little the quest to go through it, and you had to stop the Gator Claws from coming out, and all that was pretty cool. Um, and I think the uh, two of my other favorite things of it was uh, going and seeing. Um, uh, Sierra, I, I always mess up her last name. Uh, Petrovita, uh, where she was in Fallout Three, and she had that uh, Nuka Cola place with that little Nuka Cola shack, where she was showing all of her stuff, and she was get, like giving little tours and stuff in Fallout Three, and helping her with that, and then finding out well, they made a whole bunch of other different kinds of Nuka Cola. It wasn't just, you know, quantum and so on. They had um, the cherry and the the berry cola and the coffee yeah. one and the, the like orange. Yeah, and they a bunch of them. Yeah, they even had um, I think one of my favorite ones was um, Nuka Extreme. Nuka Extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Nuka Dark. Yeah. And um, it was it was pretty cool. And then uh, I think the uh, I had two. Uh, favorite weapons out of it that were legendary weapons which was the and i don't know if i'm saying this right or not but it was the eternus or eternus uh gatling laser where it was pretty much an infinite supply of you know lasers coming out of it you would never run out because it would only run off of one uh one fusion core and you could use it throughout the whole entire game with just one fusion core uh-huh. uh, and then I think the problem solver was my second favorite, which was the um, handmade uh, special handmade rifle. There's two different kinds. There's that one and the splatter cannon. Um, and so it was really a unique spin on, you know, how what an, an amusement park looked like in f- the different f- the before the war and then even after. And then um, how you could go through and you could play it two ways. You could go and uh, be the overboss and start taking over the wasteland, or you could choose to do the good ending, 
which would be freeing all the slaves and then just, you know, killing everybody there that were raiders. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that was one of my favorite because there was just so much to it. Um, And even remembering uh, some of the stuff that I I had to go through and how long it took me, because I think going from start to finish, it took me probably about, I don't know, 80 hours to complete it all because I wanted to go through every single thing that was in there. Yeah, there was a lot there. It was a big, it was a big expansion. Yeah, it was. And then, um, I, and doing that quest for, uh, Sierra going and finding the guy that made the, the, uh, Nuka Cola and, and all that stuff and where you were able to get the weaponized Nuka ammo, which I thought was pretty amazing. And it was actually pretty powerful to, to start with. Yeah. So let's open this up to other people. Anybody else want to chime in on this one? Nuka World? Tree Dog? Yeah, um, I'm going to admit something that at least is a little embarrassing for me, but this is the only DLC that I haven't finished across all of the games that I've played. And it kind of goes with what you said. There's a lot going on here. There's, and There's a lot there, yeah. Keeps me up at night, but yeah, just one minute. <laughs> well... Maybe you can uh, devote some time to getting it done. Day, yeah. Deadshot? I just want to mention a small thing, because I know it's not going to be mentioned otherwise, but the Shovel Museum. That's all I'm going to mention. Those who understand will understand, but that's especially a shout-out to Pet. The Shovel <laughs> okay. Museum. All right. Sunless? Uh, me, just wanted to throw in, I love seeing kind of a background on just how just kind of evil but just insane the companies were in the fallout universe like you aside from some of the ingredients that you find out are in different nuclear recipes even just how they set up the park like there's one terminal entry uh, i think from a manager or someone talks about the kitty kingdom area and the sprayers uh, when you go there obviously it's 200 years later and it's they're spraying radioactive fog they were originally designed to spray Nuka-Cola, not water, water. <laughs> right, right. Sprayed Nuka-Cola to the point where kids were getting, like, rashes on their skin. <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, in our world, it's hard to think of anyone who would go, gee, this is a good idea. You know, and we see all sorts of how Vault-Tec has their evil experiments and whatnot going on. Just to see even the little decisions of, like, who at Nuka-Cola decided this was a good idea. Yeah, right. Like, whose idea was this? This is terrible. Why would you spray this on people? <laughs> yeah. That was it. Yeah, okay. Good point. Well, cool stuff, Zemnies. Anything else you want to add before we move on? No, I think that wraps it up for me. I, I did want to say something, if that's all sure. right. Yeah, go for okay, it. Okay, so I'm not going to go on about how uh, Nuka World is dis- is Disney 2.0 because I've done that before. However, <laughs> I do want to bring up one thing, which or, or a tiny handful of things. First of all, Nuka World brings back the Hubologists, and to me, anything that makes fun of Scientology gets like an A plus in my book. Just <laughs> in general, um, I think it's hilarious and. Uh, the fact, actually, that they've had to like legally say that the hubologists 
you know, they've had to do the, you know, well, this uh, is not representative of real people, you know, we, exactly. no, no harm is intended. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention is just kind of a, a small set piece when you're going through Kitty Kingdom and uh, you meet uh, Oswald the Absurd and all of the feral ghouls that he's, you know, trying to take care of. To me, there was a lot, it was an incredibly tragic story because he was just trying to hold it all together until his girlfriend could get back because she left Nuka World to see if there was a cure. And if you find her, find her corpse and her, her holotape before you get to Nuka World, you can play it for him and he realizes she's gone. There's, there's nothing left and, and you just leave. Um, and to me, for some, for whatever reason, his kind of, the way his presence is in the game, where it's like you basically just hear him through the speakers quite a bit until you actually, like, confront him at the end. Mm -hmm. Combine that with, like, his, his panache for theatrics and the, the tragic nature of his character. For whatever reason, it gives me really strong, like, Phantom of the Opera vibes of... I'm awful, I'm ugly, but I still want to protect, I, I still want to be recognized, and I want to help people like me, I want to p help those who I care about. And then in the end, finding out that he's been doing all of this to the detriment of everyone, and in the good ending, if he leaves, he just, he, he's kind of broken, and he, and he leaves, and the way that whole setup is done just gives me uh, a, a huge reference somehow to Phantom of the Opera, which I don't expect to see references or even like any themes similar to any of the musicals I adore in my video games. So that was something uh, that I I really yeah. liked. And then the last yeah. thing is just seeing the, you know, we already know that Vault-Tec was connected with the Enclave. And then when we go through Nuka World and we learn about Nuka-Cola Quantum, Project Cobalt, which they're working with the Nuka with uh, the Enclave or the U.S. government at the time, and Vault-Tec themselves, seeing that there was a third player in that uh, tr uh, triad of control of the United States for trying to do R&D in regards to the Sino-American War. Just seeing that, yes, there was another thing, and, yeah, Nuka-Cola actually killed people, <laughs> uh, you find out through Terminals, was just absolutely yeah. fascinating to me. Cool stuff. All right, well, it's time to move on to our last one. We've got Nunamur with Wastelanders for Fallout 76. Nunamur? This is like... This is really current stuff. This hasn't even been out that long. That's right. Um, just a brief um, thing right up the top. Um, at the end of the podcast, me and Soy have a very exciting announcement to make that's Fallout 76 related. So that'll be coming in a bit. Yep. Yeah. In um, fact, you can you can do this section and then just kind of roll right into that. Just roll into that. All right. Yeah. Make sure Soy's yeah. ready as well. Um, sure. So um, with Wastelanders, Especially, you know, this is another thing of Fallout coming at such a good time in my life and being there for me when I need it. Because uh, with all the isolation and everything, uh, being able to have more players in the game, have newer people, different things like that, it's it's very exciting and very uh, needed. But to be completely honest, I was very nervous about Wastelanders coming out because I had already 
loved the game so much. So I was apprehensive about the changes that were going to come and whether it was going to change an experience that I already loved so much. But Wastelanders is really unique as opposed to all the other DLC from from the other games because it's the only one that was directly as more or less a response to the players. It was determined by the players um, what they wanted, what the way that they were playing the game. And Bethesda has been very open about saying that they were surprised that more people didn't get into PvP, that more people didn't um, be more combative with with one another. They expected it to be uh, much more of a, um, uh, you know, players attacking each other, attacking each other's bases, different different things in that right. direction. Stereotypical multiplayer online behavior. Exactly. Right. But, but the community did, didn't do that so much. No, we banded together. We made a, a, a community. We helped each other out. Most of the, all the gameplay that people, you know, responded to was all cooperative. I was one of those players that I spent my time in the beta, not worrying about getting as far as I could or getting as powerful as I could. I focused on just collecting supplies, building a welcome uh, camp right out down the bottom of the stairs outside of Vault 76. And I was there day one after the beta waiting outside of the vault for new players to come out and drop them some weapons and uh, give them some supplies, give them some water and food. And I wasn't alone in that. A lot of people did that. And so it really showed, you know, people kind of coming together and having something that we love, you know, pull people together. And of course, there was a lot of backlash and stuff, but most of those people kind of got shook off of the game and didn't stick around but the people who stayed really loved it and so i feel like it's the first dlc that really rewarded the players for how they played despite that maybe not being the direction that bethesda thought that the game was going uh going towards yeah they should be applauded for for changing and following where the community wanted to go and and i have a feeling that that was something they're always prepared to do at the beginning it's part of why they put it out so early um Mm -hmm. And it, it just, it's one of those things where, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I get it. Game development and uh, software development in general is changing. Like it's, it's very rare anymore that you put out software and say, okay, here is the 1.0 version of the software. This is what it is. We'll make a few little tweaks here and there, but this is the package. This is what you can get. Um, Everything is is turning into lifetime continual change. Everything gets update. Nothing's really finalized kind of formats. So for something like this, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it really shows that uh, despite some of the negative press they get, that Bethesda really listens to the fans. And I mean, down to even small things like the, like some of the big complaints people have was the lack of NPCs, the lack of dialogue, and the lack of player choice. And those are three fundamental parts of the fallout experience that were missing in uh 76 and with wastelanders not only did they add all three of those things in but even the dialogue system is a throwback to fallout 3 and fallout new vegas so and with all the skill checks and different things like that it really uh answered a lot of those criticisms and then and ending adding in the whole end game grind that a lot of people were missing out um on you know, with the reputation quests and the bullion and treasury notes, which is a grind. It takes time and it takes <laughs> effort. And, you know, right. you can only get so much done in a day, but it's rewarding. And it gives people something to do, even if they only come in for an hour, or a couple hours a day. 
And the nice thing with the treasury notes is that it's gotten so many people to join public events again, which public events are a great way to meet players, a great way to team up with people and make new friends. And they would often go not played. And now people are joining them much more. And a lot of higher level players are joining them because you're rewarded with treasury notes if you beat the main story storyline of Wastelanders. But then the whole thing about this of adding in the story and the characters is just wonderful because you know, I knew with the way I was playing the game that I was going to ultimately side with the settlers. I knew the Raiders didn't stand a chance. But when I met them, I was so surprised at how well written these characters were, how they weren't just these mustache twirling villains. They were <laughs> legit characters. And I have to throw out real quick, a weasel is my girl. I love her. She's amazing. <laughs> I, yes. I hope that sometime down the road, we'll get more of her because she was great. And that also relates back to Christine with the whole, you know, um, not being able to talk and everything, but she does have a voice. She has a robot voice, but still. But then right. I kind of I kind of felt like the settlers were a little vanilla. They were a little plain. But then you start meeting some of the new characters. And I'm gonna be very careful. This is all top level. Very, very I'm yeah. Not, yeah, I'm not gonna go right. into any spoilers, but you meet Jen, for instance, and Jen's story was amazing. And it reminded me a lot of the TV show The Americans, for anyone who's seen that show. And then you meet uh, Penelope Hornwright, which if you're a fan of ghouls, she's an amazing character. And uh, also Sergeant Radcliffe. I wasn't I was so surprised to like him and his goofy jokes and how silly he is all the time. And just as a <laughs> side note, I don't trust Samuel. I don't know what he's up to. I'm hoping we'll find out down the road, but <laughs> I don't trust him. Um, but then with the wayward characters, too, which you meet early on, uh, characters like Mort, and the Assaultron Polly, uh, they were both really awesome and funny characters. And uh, I had actually commented, we were sitting next to each other at Bethesda Game Days, and I, we popped on our headsets, and I leaned over to you. I'm like, did you hear that they added a DJ into the radio? <laughs> <laughs> right, um, yes. And Julie is such a <laughs> cool character. I love her like cheesy dad jokes. I'm always laughing at those. Now, I'm a very emotional person. I'm an easy crier. But uh, she, a couple of her emotional speeches on the radio legit had me in tears like there was some there's some really good writing in there that relates to real world stuff and a lot of things people are going through right now in society and just really um and i just hope we get to meet her at some point uh in the in the future dlc because that's another thing about this dlc is it's constantly growing we now have the whole introduction to seasons and the future packs that are going to be coming over the next year yeah but the, the last thing i wanted to talk about with this dlc is the companions and the thing is, Beckett's cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to hate on Beckett, but I love Commander Daguerre, um, or as I should call her, Sophia, because that's what she wants me to call her since <laughs> I did romance her. Oh, and we okay. seem to be a very happy couple living at my camp. She likes my camp. So she's at my camp too. Wait a minute. Oh, that's, that's weird. That's weird. It must that's be a different little... Sophia. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. Well, mine's just. Mindstruth does the Nuka girl. So I don't okay. in my opinion, there's only two ways she should be dressed now that we can dress up our companions. You either dress her as the Nuka girl or the mistress of mystery, because uh -huh. that's her favorite comic book character. Because one of the awesome things about Sophia is that she is a nerd. She's, she's a full on geek character. She's an, a video gamer. She's obsessed with holotape games. And she's also a comic book fan. She talks about going to uh, going to the comic book shop back in pre-war because that's one of the interesting things 
about her story. And again, without going into spoilers, as you find out in the first couple of minutes of her being introduced, but she was a pre-war astronaut who was in space and in mm-hmm. a deep sleep. So she crash lands on Earth. Not only is it decades later than she thought it would be, but also, oh yeah, sorry, the apocalypse happened while you were gone. <laughs> Everything's destroyed. Whoops. Yeah, not so good. <laughs> But mm-hmm. that whole storyline is just fa- like from a sci-fi concept um, perspective is just so interesting. And the fact that one of her quest lines is a David Bowie reference told me right off the bat I was going to be into this whole storyline and I was going to be going to be into it because uh, she's amazing. Her character is amazing. The voice acting is amazing with all the characters. And uh, the great thing with all this is that there's lots of exciting stuff to come. It's a whole new build of the game. so. There's so much more they can they can build into the game as as we go forward. So I was just um, pleasantly surprised, very happy with all the changes. And it having having uh, NPCs doesn't change the fact that there are real people in the game and you're still interacting with real people. You're still building a society. And hopefully someday we get our uh, vendors back because that's the one thing that <laughs> yeah, I'm really I'm sure right they'll now, fix it. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. But outside of that, just Wastelanders has been has been an amazing experience. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and also, by the way, Bethesda, if you need another DJ, another DJ voice, you can have DJ robots. Yeah, there could be two stations. Wink, 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 <laughs> wink. So cool. Wow. This has been a uh, very informative and long and fun episode. So thank you, everybody, for joining me. Um, is there anybody, uh, since usually we go through the list and we say, hey, here's how you can reach us, and we do that thing. I don't know how popular that is with you guys. I know everyone can be reached at the Robots Radio Discord by the names that they go by here. Is there anybody else that would like to chime in about other places that people can reach out to you? Or do we want to just leave it at Robots Radio Discord? Aperture? Yes, you can reach me at uh, most of the main platforms, Instagram, Twitter, um, Snapchat, if that's your thing, uh, TikTok, yeah, like, whatever, at Aperture underscore Flash. You can also reach me on the CB radio at channel 19 if I'm in your area. You really need to get a hold of me. Just scream your frustrations into the dark, and within three days, a postcard will arrive. Wow. I didn't know you had that power. It's shocking. It is shocking. Firewriter? Come find me on Twitter. Uh, Firewriter, F-Y-R-E. Can you say that again? I think it, it, it broke up a oh, little bit. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, come find me on Twitter and find... <laughs> <laughs> My mouth stopped working. Firewriter, and that's fire with a Y. Writer is in one who writes. Got it. Cool. Faith on can find me on Twitter at FaithOnWorld and on Instagram at FaithOnWorldEnder. Very cool. Sunless? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Sunless Sketcher. Sunless Ender. Sorry, I'm still, I'm still, that sounds, that sounds so cool. All right, and Zemnis? You can find me on Twitter at Zemnis the Night Wolf. Uh, you can find me on PS4 for Liger019, all under uh, underscore or uh, lowercase, sorry. And then, uh, of course, uh, on PC, Zemnis the Night Wolf. And then uh, Twitch, Zemnis the Night Wolf, which I'll be streaming later on uh, tonight. Cool. Yeah, go check out his Twitch stream. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you for. Oh, go ahead. What was that? Can I do a real quick shout out? Yeah, go for it. 
Okay. Uh, first of all, got to shout out you, you, and uh, solid. I know he's listening. And uh, Kilo Sorry, Tango. You, you broke up. You broke up after you, 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 and then what? Uh, and because uh, I know he's listening. Okay. Kilo Tango one one two two. I hope you're doing better, buddy. Nice. I will no more context. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we're we're rooting for you. All right. Um we need to figure out what we're gonna talk about next month. We need to come up with some topics. I don't know if anybody has any ideas off the top of their head while I wrap up the show. But um if Soybean you want... had a really great idea. Oh yeah? Soybean? What was it? Hello. So uh <laughs> Hello. already uh, a couple weeks ago I or last week, I proposed next month being a uh, Pride Month themed episode, seeing as a lot of Pride Month activities are being put on hold for uh, the COVID reasons. And so yeah. we could just talk about uh, different LGBT characters or yeah, what that'd be great. Uh, Pride Month is within the game for us, what Pride right. means. And yeah. Yeah, ways that um, in the Fallout games it's been represented either well or poorly, different opinions on that. Yeah, we yeah. could totally do that. Yeah. Victor? Oh, I was just like unmuting myself to make sure that like I could soy <laughs> on in that Bethesda has done some really good and some heavy handed lazy things when it comes to the LGBTQ community. Um but I think that out of just about any any game besides like Dragon Age or Mass Effect, uh, Fallout is a great representative representative game uh, to use kind of Pride Pride Month LGBT stuff as a backdrop um, to be able to talk about those kinds of things. And yeah, yeah, you know, Mass Effect and Dragon Age is Bioware, not Bethesda. So <laughs> I think Fallout's a, a really good choice. Right. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. Let's let's do that for next time. And if you'd like to be part of that conversation um, live, I mean, you're always welcome to come join us live on twitch.tv slash robots radio and jump in the chat while we're talking about these things. So you can always be part of that. We record on the last Sunday of every month and we do it live on Twitch. We're still live right now. And um, if you want to be part of the panel, part of the patrons who get to join us on the episode, you can always check out patreon.com slash fallout and sign up at least at, at tier four in order to join us every month as part of the conversation. So sounds like an awesome topic and I'm excited to talk to you guys about that stuff because I'm sure uh, a number of you, this is actually way more personal for you guys than it is for me, but I'm always open for understanding and learning more about other people's perspectives on things. I can only speak from my perspective. So, um, having that conversation with you guys is definitely going to be informative and educational to me and hopefully lots of other people as well. So thank you guys for joining me again. And thank you to our Twitch friends for popping in the stream and, and joining the conversation. And until next week, uh, when I'll be back with another episode, um, I don't know. I don't really have a good wrap up for all the different DLCs. Go play one of these DLCs you haven't played yet and go find out how awesome it is because they're all awesome in their own ways. And if you have any questions about anyone, you, you know exactly where to go to uh, talk to people who have some opinions or can help you along. Um, these guys right here. So, all right. Talk to you guys next week. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. 
All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon. to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. If you are inspired to start your own podcast, then we have just what you need. The hosts at Robots Radio have put together a podcast just for you, just for podcast creators. It's called The Podcast Professor. We are giving you for free all the tips that you need to get you started on your own podcast. It's a gift from us just to say thank you for being part of this network. Go check it out. It's up on every platform that you could look for. There are audio episodes for you to download just like any other podcast. And then there are also videos at the Robots Radio YouTube channel. Go check out both and good luck with starting your own show. Again, that's called The Podcast Professor. Look it up everywhere.